films of the year. Uh. Um, they're called films, not movies. We better make. We better make. We illegally watched a whole bunch of movies. Just search the movie title in Footlocker, and it'll pop up for free. Just kidding. We don't support illegally downloading. Says you should just buy the physical media. And we bought a mic. Bought a mic. Yeah, we bought. Hello. Oh, are, you, are, you, are you starting? Oh a my new God! One? Was that was that a, a spoiler for what your number one of the year is gonna be? Here we go again. Welcome to We Bought a Mic. <laughs> All right. Uh, Listomania Part Three of Three, our final list here with the best movies of 2018. Oh man, it's the big one. Everyone's been talking. Everyone's We've been, been waiting. building it up. Yeah, and here we are, a grand finale. The best way to put your list out is after everyone else does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the closer to the end of the next year as possible. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. So uh, we're gonna, we decided we're going to delay it until next December, so mm-hmm. we can actually watch everything. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I am Ernest Calderon. I am Hunter Mobley. And I'm List Drew Dietzen. I'm wearing slippers if I sound different. That's yeah. why. If I sound relaxed. I, I'm chomping on a little uh, cereal here on the side as we get going. Um, we want to jump into the list as quickly as possible. But before, let's uh, let's look back at the at the year in film. 2018. Yeah, and play montage. <laughs> a, yeah, this is the Ooh, Oscar show. Uh, <laughs> like a shitty. Yeah, this yeah. year's theme is the magic of film once again. <laughs> Wow. Yet again, I love guys, movies. I don't know yeah. if you guys know this, but movies movies are still they're, good. They're pretty great. That's, they're pretty good. Yeah. yeah. That's the worst thing about <laughs> the Oscars. This year's theme once again is movies <laughs> for all these montages. Um, <laughs> this was the year of movie pass, you know, RIP. Yeah, just movie subscription services A-list, in general. Yeah. Um Sin uh was it the other one that's called Cinemia? Yeah, Cinema. Fuck is that? S-I-N. It's like the other kind of movie pass thing where it's three movies a month. It was also the year of Letterboxd. Yeah. Well, I mean Letterboxd was a thing last year. Yeah, but, but it I really mean, took off this year, I feel like. Yeah. yeah. At and least was, in our circle. It was also the year of me not knowing the difference between Jason Clark and Joel Edgerton. <laughs> wow. And I still don't. <laughs> he can't drop and it. that's what <laughs> that's what this year has been defined by. Yeah. Like, Ernest, I'm gonna say this one more time. It's okay. It's <laughs> It's totally fine. I mean, it's water under the bridge. Listeners, man. try to tell the difference. Look up a picture of these two men next to each other. God, and he just won't shut the fuck up. You can't this. watch the trailer for Pet Cemetery. Is that Joel Edgerton or Jason Clark? I don't, don't know. know. It's okay. I don't know. Um, I don't so, know. I don't know the difference between Dylan McDermott and Dermot Mulroney. Exactly. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It's the same Who deal. cares? Why are there so many Dermots? Is this, my question. This was the year that. Uh, finally, my my big Max Keeble theory went viral on Twitter. Everyone's talking about how he. Ha- I'm not saying it definitely he caused 9/11, but he knew about it. He was there. Buzzfeed he, News is reporting on this. It. He, if you slow down the video, he is driving that plane. Um, I'm not saying he died. I think he's still alive. But he did it. And tell us your favorite color, and we'll tell you which tower Max Keeble yeah. went yeah. to. Yeah, and Lil Romeo knew about it. <laughs> Lil Romeo was watching from the Pentagon. So, um, <laughs> so movies, uh, this isn't a comedy podcast. This is a very serious year. Um, yeah. so my number 10 is Max Keeble's one, big move. Uh, that's also your number one. Yeah. It's my 10 um, through one. <laughs> one theme big in movies this year was this was kind of the year that actors got behind the camera. I mean, we have people like Jonah Hill, Ethan Hawke, Bradley Cooper, just to name a couple of them that all were Krasinski. stars in movies. Yes, Krasinski. It went pretty well. And they all went, and yeah, for the most part, I mean, 
you can tell that they really, especially with how they shoot actors, because they are actors, I'd, they know how to bring out their best side of themselves. I'd probably yeah. put, um, I'd put uh, Bo Burnham in that list. Yeah, too. Bo Burnham. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. He's still he's a performer. Um, this has also been like an amazing year for documentaries and for foreign films. I mean, when you talk about documentaries, we have, I haven't had a chance to even see all of them, but of course we have Minding the Gap, Won't You Be My Neighbor, Free Solo, just, that's a couple of them. And then foreign films, this year in foreign films is like stacked. Roma, Like burning. Roma's most notable, Burning, Shoplifters, uh, Zama, I've heard awesome things about, um, but yeah, I I really kind of Cold War. Away. Yeah, Cold War, which uh, we haven't had a chance to. It hasn't come out in Orlando yet. It's coming out at the end of this month. But yeah, just a phenomenal year. Good I uh, I have a list. Just indulge me for a second of all the shit I did not get a chance to see. The Rider, mid nineties. The Other Side of the Wind. Happy as Lazar. The Kindergarten Teacher. Cold War. Can you ever forgive me? Hearts Beat Loud. Wildlife. Love Simon. Overlord, <sighs> Blaze, Fuck. The Tale, You're stressing me out. American Animals, Shut Three up. Identical Strangers, <laughs> Destroyers, Shirkers, At Eternity's Gate, The Old Man and the Gun, Bumblebee, Mary Poppins. Um, Bumblebee. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> I'll stop there. A, a lot of people... I've heard a lot of people call this like a bad year for movies. Yeah, what the um, fuck are you well, talking about? Well, I, I wanted people? to ask you guys. I mean, this I have never seen more movies in a year than I've seen this year. So for me, this is a great year for movies. Same. So, My letterbox list of 2018 is 60 movies. Yeah. That's insane for like, me. Like, maybe it's just because now we're watching them all. Yeah. So we know. But, like, it seems like it was a pretty fucking good year. So I think that this has been a great year for movies. But I will say, I think that when people say that this was an off year for movies, it's because there wasn't a. There was no Get Out this year. Mm -hmm. There was no, like, La La Land Moonlight kind of a year right. or something like that. There was no movies that I think were massively thought of as 10 out of 10s by a lot yeah, of Yeah, that's a good thing. And I think yeah, that that's, right. there's a lot of 8s and a lot of 9s out there this year, but I think that that's what people mean when they say... It's a deeper bench. It, exactly. And I don't... I, it kind of... Whenever I've said something in our group chat um, like a couple weeks ago that I've just kind of accepted that there won't be a get out this year. Hey, man. I, I don't think that there's going to be a movie that whenever we look back on 2018 we're going to be like this is the movie that defined this year next next week we're going to be talking about the oscar nominations and we're definitely going to be have we're going to have to be talking about fucking green book and bohemian rhapsody i'm not going to watch yeah. I, I don't want to watch it I i'll watch but that's the sad story of of this award I mean, season is that you have movies like black panther a star is born roma that should be the the favorites and then the favorite which should also be a favorite <laughs> Uh, but no, the awards are going to the yeah. other. Um, I don't. Th I don't think Black Panther should be anywhere near the Oscars, honestly. But it's it's we'll, better than Bohemian Rhapsody. We'll have, well, a, yeah, we'll have a talk about it next year about what actually it means to be the best picture or to even be nominated for the best picture because I think that that's kind of encompasses a whole bunch of different things. Yeah, Some, it hits. Black Panther hits a lot of the check marks that you would want from a best picture. It has mass appeal. Yeah, it means something. The only not only to its genre, but it transcends the genre in a lot of ways to the, kind of speak uh, yeah, to other people. The only check mark it does not check is that it is not the best picture, <laughs> which honestly doesn't really matter. Uh, that's not what things are based on. I, I think it was probably Sean Fantasy tweeted today, but the Producers Guild just had their awards. Green Book. Green Book got it eighty percent of the time. The past ten years, uh, yep. that winner goes on to win Best Picture. So. That is troubling. Yep. Uh, all right, let's. Get I to will the list. say we will not be talking about Green Book on this podcast. I think it's safe to say. 
I don't know. If it's nominated for Best Picture, I'm gonna see. Maybe, it. I'm gonna watch. I'm gonna good. watch the fucking wife just because <laughs> I want to watch everything that's nominated. And you know, Glenn Close is gonna get hers. Yeah. So. Okay. All right. Let's get into the list. So, as a reminder, if you didn't listen to our last two episodes, we are going to count off from ten to one, uh, and then we're gonna do some honorable mentions and awards at the end before we wrap up. Uh, and the way we're going to do it is we if there's any overlap, if we mention a movie that pops up on one of the other person's lists, we're going to wait. We're going to save the discussion until the last time it pops up. And we do not know each other's lists. This That's is the best part of all it. Of us. That's the yeah. best part of it. That's my favorite part of this is kind of like the suspense, Ooh. suspense. the anticipation. <laughs> OK, so I'm going to start number 10 of 2018. Mm-hmm. My number 10 is Tully. Mm, it made your list. Yeah, did it, it didn't quite make my list. I didn't I'm, think I'm it sad would. That it didn't. It's in my tier right. Actually, there is a di- in my list. There is like a literal divide from like one to ten, and then like eleven to about eighteen. And this is in that tier right yeah. below. Yeah. Where I loved totally. I yeah. really, really enjoyed it. It's it's an amazing movie. It's a type of movie that doesn't get made nowadays. Like this sort of really interesting. Uh, script that's about something very small and mundane but it it tells the story in this like really almost like mind-bending sort of sort of way yeah it's, great great acting um Mackenzie Davis and Charlize both I thought were pretty amazing uh the script by Diablo Cody is one of the best yeah of the year. one of my favorite scripts of the year it was well directed it's not like you know it was like visionary directing or there's anything. a texture to the yeah to the footage it was, the cinematography it was super solid directing the end did not wrap up uh I think if the end had wrapped up a little more pleasantly, it would have easily made my list. Yeah, I, I agree. The third act, I think that some of the plot threads that came together were a little bit loose. That's the only reason why it didn't make my cut. Um, Where it goes, but, it, I think, could turn a lot of people off. But oh, yeah. it really, really worked hey, for me. For it that, it turned mean, me off initially, and then I bought into it by the end of it. But just kind of uh, the ramifications for what it meant uh, while watching it in the theater kind of uh, had me... Baffled. Yeah, a little uneasy. Yeah. yeah, I I just think that the I I want to commend the fact that Jason Reitman uh, has made a lot of of movies that it's a kind of movie that's kind of disappearing. You know, he made Up in the Air. Mm-hmm. He made um, Thank You for Smoking. Um, I mean, of course, he made Juno, which kind Ju- of started this whole like a whole little genre of like. Uh, what's considered indie filmmaking, like this kind of almost Wes Anderson-y style to it, but it's a little bit more like quote-unquote hipster than that, then, I guess. Yeah, and then there's the whole like unofficial trilogy with uh, Diablo Cody of Juno, young adult Tully, mm-hmm. that tells the story of kind of uh, uh, you know womanhood and culminating in, in motherhood. And I think that's what Tully does best. It, it really... It gets me as as a man who could never be pregnant. It it lets me understand Are you like sure? what don't, it don't wants. Don't have that attitude. Tell you Come that. on, Ernest. Yeah. It's 2019. It, it lets me. It lets me like really understand what it must be like to to undergo that. And like, yeah. it doesn't show it in in a glamorous way. It actually gets very visceral and like yeah. a little little horrific. So I, I really recommend I, this movie. I, I'm glad it's on your list because I did want to commend it. Mm-hmm. I, I really enjoy this movie. Yeah. Yeah. So that's Tully. Okay. Uh Jason Reitman. Uh, uh Hunter Charlie's Throne. My number ten, I have a feeling that we're gonna save it, is Roma. Yep. It's we're, on my yeah, list. Yeah, we're gonna save it. Yep. Um Drew number ten. My number ten is Buster Scruggs. 
Wow, nice. Yeah. This Didn't. ended up way, way low on my list. <laughs> yeah, which it, is it's just an unfortunate testament to the the number of great movies. Yeah, I'm, I mean I'm this, glad it made this still ended up in kind of my twenty to thirty range, but I still love this movie. Like that kind of it shows how strong and how deep of the year this was. Yeah, this this movie, you know, just the nature of being a series of different stories, it, it was a bit imbalanced, uh, but I really, it was one of those movies that I just couldn't look away throughout the entire thing. Uh, not out of, like, train wreck, like, you know, like a fucked up thing or whatever. Sometimes because of that. But mostly I just, I really had a great time uh, watching it. Uh, I talked about this thematically. Maybe it, it's a bit stale, but it was really, really good filmmaking. Great writing and incredible directing and amazing acting performances. A lot of different performances because we're getting so many different characters thrown at us. And they were all across the board. Very, very solid. Great. Yeah, I, I think it's it's a great movie. All right. So that's our number tens. Now, number nine. My number nine is You Were Never Really Here. Oh, okay. So hey, I wasn't expecting it to make your list. Nice. This is this is a movie by director Lynn Ramsey. Uh, I really wanted to. I looked at my list and I was like, all of the all of the directors on my top ten are men, and I wanted to represent uh, have some sort of representation for female directors. And I think Lynn Ramsey knocked it out of the fucking park with "You Were Never Really Here." It's Obviously, it's starring one of the greatest actors of our time, Joaquin Phoenix, and it shows him in in a little bit of a different light than we usually see him. You know, we've we've seen him in uh, roles like Inherent Vice and The Master uh, and Her, Her, where he, you know, he can get a little a little comical, a little whimsical, a little sensitive. But in You Were Never Really Here, he's just so imposing and just big and hulking and almost monstrous as this this hitman for hire uh and it treads a lot of the same themes as scorsese's taxi driver mm. but it, it does so in a much more kind of artistic poetic way yeah i mean it does so instead of there being any kind of a love interest or anything it's about this man trying to protect a small girl and everything and there's his and there's mother lot, too yeah you know it, and it 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 doesn't quite become like a revenge story or anything like that it, it's more about uh, a man who is 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 lost and aimless, much like Travis Bickle is in, in Taxi Driver, but he is just dangling on the edge of death. And the way Lynn Branzi p- portrays this through her her camera direction and the editing and all that, you you get the sense that this man is like constantly dangling himself on the edge of death, and that he is really really traumatized by by ptsd and and having insane flashbacks to okay don't, to his past. don't spoil yeah, too much no, i i really want to see this it's still. it's it's an awesome movie um i really loved it i will say the direction in this movie is phenomenal like it's so good uh how she directs i feel like she really elevates the story with her direction that she brings um i it's not gonna make my list but i will shout out as my favorite movie made by a female director this year is uh, Deborah Granick's Leave No Trace, which I actually just watched last night. It's a great movie. It didn't quite make my list, but I think that that movie, it perfectly encompasses the what it's like in the forest and yeah. like the greenness everywhere that you see. It's just, yeah. it's so luscious and vibrant. Once once we get to honorable mentions, we'll, we'll highlight some other female uh, directors, but you were never really here. My number nine, uh, it's on Amazon Prime right now. You can watch it there. And I, I really, really recommend it. It's not a movie that works for everybody, 
but I think that if you appreciate films that uh, kind of tackle themes and ideas that a lot of movies do but in a in an unconventional way i think you'll really enjoy this film uh particularly the way this movie tackles violence because it chooses to not show violence when other movies would absolutely bathe in it so it it's just it's really unique and original and, and interesting and and it really really resonated with me and it's my number nine my number nine is Damien Chazelle's First Man. Yes, hell yeah, nice. Um, it is not on my list, but I'm glad it's on I, This is, I, okay, so in the last 72 hours, I've done so much manipulating on my list. <laughs> to the been, point where I've been freaking out. I haven't been sleeping. <laughs> like, I just, I was up until like 3.30 in the morning last night, just like yeah. moving things around like one or two spots. And it kind of came down to the end of the day. Whenever I look back, am I going to feel stupid about like not putting Coron on my list or not putting Chazelle on my list? And I think that this movie has so much that can be appreciated with. I wish that it would have actually gotten mass attention, but it was a pretty big flop at the box office. Mm. Um, and I know it's not really going to be recognized for award season, but this movie perfectly encompasses what it's like to be in space and how pretty much everything can possibly go wrong and there's a point zero 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 one percent chance of success and what that success means um i think this movie like i really i think ryan gosling gives an unbelievably great quiet performance as neil armstrong um you really this movie pulls no punches whenever it comes to neil armstrong's character like it really shows that he is not the best human being this isn't trying to put him in a shining light or anything this shows a man who is so obsessed with his job with his career with this idea of being the first man to walk on the moon that he is he completely puts his family to the side over and over again um i this movie i think did a better job than even something like gravity at kind of uh capturing the vastness and the emptiness of space and what that feeling is like um anytime there and you have this beautiful score by justin Hurwitz, but whenever the music cuts out that's whenever you can just feel the space you almost feel like you're floating in your chair what's while the watching it's the sound design too you know because you're getting these really claustrophobic shots that's why i just i wish that this movie would be getting recognized for more stuff for some of its technical aspects because i think that damien chazelle has th- shown this uh kind of love for thriving uh, in between the seams of the movie whenever it comes to editing, whenever it comes to sound design, production design and I think this movie perfectly encompasses all of that I really I, I just, I, I wanted I, I was really disappointed whenever this movie was announced uh, just because I wanted uh, Chazelle to kind of go on and make another original story like a whiplash, like a La La Land but I think that he made as good of a biopic as you possibly can. Wait, ever come are to you telling subject. me La La Land didn't happen? <laughs> That's fucked. They actually, I don't know if you've ever been to LA, Drew, but people just get out of their cars in the middle of Every the traffic day. and just start singing. I thought that Gosling was playing BB King. I have an award for First Man that I'll give out right now. It's my most likely to circle back award. I think that give it like half a decade to a decade and we're going to look back at first man with with a lot yeah. more uh 
you know, praise than what it got initially. Well, and I think that this is a movie that is really, it really lends itself to the home video times now with better widescreen TVs, a lot of people having more surround sound system because... I haven't had a chance to watch this at home, but I can't wait to listen to it and just hear like the clanking of metal happening behind me, feeling like you are here in this small one, two man spacecraft with him. And most of it is shot on 16 millimeter. Yeah. So it has this really timeless, like beautiful. Yeah. It, re- to it, it looks like a movie that was made 30 years ago um, from the era. Yeah. 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 I, I this is my number 12. Um, Ooh, so Walmart, it, right up there. It was nice. it was really close. Uh, you know, the filmmaking of it is absolutely like you know it's a master craft. Basically, uh, the only thing I could complain about, which I did complain about at length, was the script, uh, which just just a little boring for me. Mm-hmm. But it's it's a really hey, really Claire good movie. Foy acted the hell out of that script. Yeah, Claire she, Foy is great. She yeah, awesome. she's she's a gem. The year of Claire Foy. All right, number nine, Drew. My number nine is Hereditary. Are we Fuck gonna wait? Yeah. I didn't. It, did it not couldn't make my, make my list. It's it's in that lower tier. My nine through eighteen is all pretty interchangeable for me, and it's right there. It yeah. was in my list as of this morning. I am so <laughs> glad it made your list. I have it down at fifteen. So okay, I didn't make it, but yeah, I I'm happy I, for you. I found myself having a lot of recency bias making this list and mm-hmm. all the other lists that I made. Uh, and I really tried to think back, and this movie produced the most visceral response out of almost any movie I saw this year. And on top of that, it was a good movie. And uh, Tony Collette was maybe my favorite, uh, you, you know, my best actress choice of the year, if I got to choose. I thought she did a great job. Uh, I, I loved it. I loved it through and through. I thought toward the end, it, it veered in a direction that I didn't expect, and the result was pretty unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, this, it just, I mean, we don't want to get into spoilers for any of these movies on here, but I mean, where this movie takes a turn at the end of the first act is something that, like, I, that was one of the most affecting yeah. sequences in any movie this year seeing that it's like my jaw was literally like dropped on the fucking floor <laughs> yeah uh there's barely anything to complain about if i were to complain i would say a couple maybe two scenes are a little redundant and could be edited or mm. just made so there is do momentum teens really way- chop nuts at parties that's <laughs> something that the young kids do the young kids you know they just start baking things shut, at their shut house up parties. grandpa <laughs> i mean freaking like the way that Ari Aster utilizes darkness in this movie is something that I've never seen before. Well, yeah, like, I, I mentioned this when when uh, we reviewed this with Adam, and I'll reiterate it. The, the way him and the cinematographer were able to to play with the way your eyes adjust to yeah. darkness and like to to light and shadow and the the things that are revealed in that adjustment genius i've yeah. never seen anything like when it. when i when i was a little kid i could not watch scary movies like i couldn't even look at the covers of the dvds for these movies when i was really small and this movie reminded me why <laughs> <laughs> like i was like oh this is the feeling now i mean now i back then it's like a feeling of oh this is gonna murder me in my sleep but w- watching this movie it was just a feeling of I, I don't know if I want to keep watching this, but I have to. I have no choice but to keep watching this because it's so good. I think I might be stealing this from Fantasy and uh, Amanda Dobbins on the big picture. I think this is who said it, but this movie is basically like it's it's a ghost movie. It's a home invasion movie. It's a possession movie. It's a cult movie. And it's like a family drama. And it's all like intertwined together perfectly. 
yeah, exactly. Uh, it's so many different things. It it right when you think it's gonna zig, it zags. Uh, but it's also cohesive. It it really toes the line there. Uh, I thought it was through and through enjoyable. The only other thing I can possibly complain about is. Uh, a few things toward the end, a few of the themes get a bit derivative, but that's fine. It's a horror movie. Uh, so, yeah. What's your number eight? All right. So, that was Drew's number nine, Hereditary. My number eight is Suspiria. Mm. <sighs> Didn't make my list. Oh, shit. Yeah. So, you can go ahead. <laughs> I love this movie. I was so just fucking transported in the theater when I saw this. Uh, it's a rare it's a rare moment for me nowadays when I, I see so many movies that I am 100% in on everything and my brain does not wonder for one second that a director, Luca Guaranino in this case, is able to command my full attention for, what is it, six acts and an epilogue? And it's it's a very slow film, but when it takes these moments to shock you, it does so in a, in a way that I've frankly never seen before. It, it, it uses CGI and practical effects to the fullest potential. It gets silly when it needs to <laughs> without like derailing the, the tension of the film. It gets so disgusting and bloody and brutal and like really upsetting. Uh, I just I found myself really, really transfixed by this movie in, in the best possible way. Uh, and of course, you know, when Hunter and I, when you, when, when you and I, uh, reviewed it, we talked at length about, um, Tilda Swinton's performance and performances. Yeah. <laughs> there's so much, there's so much happening there in terms of what she's doing, but just the fact that like they were able to take this existing story where in the original film, the, the fact that they're, that it's a witch coven posing as a dance studio is a twist that they were to, to, to take that and to, uh, you know, update that uh, for a, a much more modern take on the same story and really, really play with that and explore that. And I, I just, I was so in on it. I was so completely in on everything that uh, Guadagnino was doing here, especially with the way that um, the witches, the witchcraft and the dancing are like hand in hand intertwined and linked it just leads to all these crazy places. The movie goes full on bonkers crazy in in the last bit, and I was all there for it. I, I loved yeah, it. This movie has some of the most traumatic imagery of <laughs> yeah. any movie that I've ever seen. Like this when you talk about something that's deeply upsetting, this is getting to the point of like scarring. Like there are certain images <laughs> that I cannot they're burned into my skull. Well, the first time that uh she dances, that Dakota Johnson dances, not the audition. But her first like actual dance and the what is happening uh, on the side, yeah, <laughs> below on the floor below, I, I'll say, is one of the best moments of the year. The only reason why this didn't make my list is be I actually just rewatched this movie and it does drag just a little bit upon a rewatch. Um, there's certain things. Uh, there's a whole subplot with um, people being captured, like terrorists. Uh, people like hijacking a plane something that actually happened in the cold war era mm -hmm. berlin that doesn't really seem necessary and it seems like it's kind of just adding to this two and a half hour long runtime um that 
it, it just held me back just a little bit. I still absolutely love this movie. I think this is even better than Call Me By Your Name. And the fact that Luca Guadagnino had the <laughs> balls to go from a movie about homosexual men in the Italian countryside to this grimy, dirty Berlin story of a fucking coven. Like, that's, I just, so I can't wait to see what his next choice Fuck is. Yeah. Good shit. So that's Suspiria, my number eight. Hunter, your number eight. My number eight is Lean on Pete. Hell yes! Wow, I didn't, I didn't see it. I this movie, I love this movie. It, it's not on my list. I it ended up pretty low, just again because of the fucking sheer number. But I I really love this movie. This movie, like it, it took me by total surprise. Like I heard really good things about it, and I was like, yeah, but it's a fucking horse movie. I mean, yeah, that's that's cool. It's like, a fucking horse. Movie? Yeah, it's it's a movie about a man who makes love to his horse. Um, Daniel Radcliffe I on think, Broadway. <laughs> This movie is just so effective. It feels like three different movies. Um, it almost gave me vibes, a completely different movie, but to Room, which I don't know if you guys have ever saw Room yeah, back Larson. in 2015, yeah. um, where it you think that you know where the movie's going, and it becomes an entirely different movie in its second half, and it elevates the whole thing. I think that that's what it was. Um, Charlie Plummer, I think, gives probably the most underrated performance of the year. Nobody is talking about Charlie Plummer. But, I, I'll give it that award for sure. Yeah, the most underrated performance. But for he sure. is fantastic in this movie. Like, he is so, so good. Steve Buscemi is in here just kind of doing his Buscemi thing. He's great. And he's awesome. This yeah. whole cast is fantastic. I was just taken away by this movie. And it's so damn sad. <laughs> it really, it's so deeply it's tragic. Really sad. It's tragic, but there is like this kind of layer of hope to mm-hmm. it all and that's what's beautiful about it. i think this has some of the best cinematography of the year yeah. um those wide wide open shots this and uh the writer which unfortunately didn't make my list it's in that tier right below my list but um it mm. both of these movies have unbelievable cin- cinematography that captures the west like very few movies do where they use this ultra wide lens to show just the vastness and the emptiness of the western countryside that make you f- that it, it all just feels very lived in. That's cool. Um, I w- really wish that we could talk more about the story. I don't want to spoil anything for it for you, Drew. Mm. But um, yeah, where this movie goes, yeah, I just his his journey. Th- there's some there's some incredible there's some stuff there. yeah. It's yeah. it's really really Oof. fantastic. You know and, you know why I didn't watch this because I've been watched like catching up on a lot of movies and I watched another movie that we'll surely talk about later that was deeply sad and I was after watching it I was like. I gotta just wa- I gotta I gotta take a week and watch some happy shit. I I just got I can't. I gotta watch Vice. I can't. Okay, well, not not that. But anyway, speaking of happy, my number eight is Won't You Be My Neighbor. Ooh, uh, did not make my list. It's number twelve. Suspiria is eleven. Won't You Be My Neighbor is mm, twelve. Okay, uh, great movie. Yeah, it, I mean, I again, I was trying to avoid recency bias because this movie made me uh, cry a little bit. And that's extremely rare. A little bit. This movie made me openly sob. <laughs> this, so yeah, this movie gets my most tears award. Yeah, oh, this is up there for the most tears of all time ever <laughs> shed in a movie. Yeah, and not in a sad way, and which is another rare thing I get. Like it was just, it was such a beautifully made. Uh, the way it was shot and directed, and the animation that was included, That's right. which was such a it 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 was a directorial choice. There was no there was nothing in the script calling for animation, but it fit the film so perfectly. It was beautiful. 
Um, obviously, the, any archival footage of Mr. Rogers is just gold. The guy was just... The Congress testimony. Yeah, the guy was just yeah. a human... He was like a human cartoon character. He's like a... What's it called? Uh, when a, a female character is too perfect... Uh, oh, like a Mary Sue. Uh, yeah, Mary Sue. I was going to call it an Anna Molly, but that I'm is... I'm going to call her that, a Lazy Susan, and that's <laughs> a completely <laughs> different thing. Yeah, Anna Molly is a song by Incubus. <laughs> oh, <boy. laughs> um, but yeah, it, he's all. it's like, if you told me about him, I'd be like, shut up, bro. Like, that's not, that's not a guy. And he truly just was so perfect. If there's anything I could possibly critique, uh, it's not about the documentary. It's just that... There are struggles included. You you talk, you know they discuss his struggles with bullying growing up and like his struggles getting his show produced. But I mean, you're kind of it's hardwired into our systems to want like a a big conflict in a movie, uh, and there just kind of wasn't one. Yeah, just because he's too like perfect. Of yeah, a human exactly. Being. <laughs> it, it's just, but that didn't really take much away from me. The movie tries it's, to do that at one point. It's like, yeah, there's a whole generation of children that have been brainwashed and ruined by yeah. Mr. Rogers teaching which is true I, w- I almost wish they had talked about that more because that is a thing that people say yeah <laughs> a lot of like adults are just like oh man this everyone gets a trophy like mentality yeah. that kids have these days all from Mr. Rogers um, but yeah I mean this was an absolutely beautiful documentary it did justice to Mr. Rogers which is hard to do because he did justice to every child in America I also think that this is probably like the most time one of the most timely movies of the year that whenever we have so much horrible shit happening in our society it's just like it's 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 hopeful and also tragic that there was this person who is this pure of a soul that existed in the world and it's tragic because he's no longer with us yeah, well we in, in a world in a world without mr rogers we all need to be mr rogers yeah we all that's and that's kind of the where the movie sends off on i think that that is a beautifully poetic ending to this movie is that this kind of challenge of just kind of be friendly to your neighbor. Like it's kind of a timeless message. Yeah. It it was, I mean, this is a really, really well done documentary. I hope it ends up on, I hope it ends up on Netflix soon. So more people can see it. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So that's, that's, won't you be my number neighbor? That's your number eight. Yeah. More like, won't you be my number eight? (laughs) (laughs) My number seven now. Annihilation. Ooh. Oh. This is in my top 20. It it was right around like 25 yeah, for me. I, Not I f- to knock it too much because I did still. I really love this movie and it gets better upon it. I figured I was going to be the only one uh, having it on here, but I... I realize every year that I, I mean, last year, my number one movie was Blade Runner 2049. I have a soft spot for damn good sci-fi. Like when, when a director is able to put together a really mind-bending sci-fi like almost like horror as yeah. thriller Ernest is a little bit of a nerd yeah 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 you could say I'm a little <laughs> bit of a of a geek I'm a little darky boy <laughs> uh I just I I am all in on shit like this where it gets it gets visually inventive and perplexing and it's able to like inject a a good amount of of human themes into it so it's it's not just like weird sci-fi shit just for the sake of it like we're actually following a group of women that are uh all experiencing their own forms of trauma and depression and self uh destruction in 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 some sort and you know through this group they're going essentially on a suicide mission because nobody has emerged from this area x we kind of 
fall into the the unknown of what it, of what is happening in here as all laws of nature and and everything are completely melting together and falling apart and we get some beautiful amazing imagery both practical and cgi uh and there's some moments in here i mean guys the final yeah. sequence in the lighthouse yeah this is so that's, fucking that might good. be my favorite sequence in any movie this year that's the thing yeah the uh it wins my award for won me over in the third act yeah because i was super not very on board and that was some of the best filmmaking i've seen in my entire life and it's life. all visual storytelling in, my, in mm. my life yeah like it was visually uh and and uh emotionally unbelievable to watch like truly it was I I don't know enough about the techniques used, but I would guess it's groundbreaking because I've never seen anything quite like it. Yeah, it's a, it's a <laughs> it's a visual feat. It's it's yeah it's astonishing. It's I described it. I remember we saw a screener and I walked up to the lady running the screener and I said, "This was a a, a, a Kubrickian Lynchian acid nightmare." <laughs> and that's that's what I was thinking in the moment walking out of the. And theater. she said, "Sir, I'm the usher." <laughs> <laughs> Will you like salt with your popcorn? Please, yeah. Please leave the theater. It's been twenty minutes. Uh, yeah, and and uh, you know, a lot of people are have complained about the the structure of the way the story is told. I know Hunter, you are yeah, a proponent of that, and I uh, I know that the way the movie ends is like a big big question mark. But you know, the the movie presents you with a lot of of different themes and ideas, and, yeah, and it doesn't make it and it doesn't make it easy for you. I, I've seen a lot of different interpretations as to what happens in this movie. Uh, I've seen, I've heard some people say that it's the whole thing is a metaphor for depression, and that that's what's happening in that final uh, lighthouse sequence. That it's all a visual metaphor for what depression feels like. That's not necessarily what Alex Garland was going for, but that's certainly valid based on what the movie presents. And and you can you, that's what I love about movies like this that really like fuck with your brain and and let you take whatever you want from it. Yeah, and that's almost I I understand it, and it made this movie more money to make it more accessible. But I almost wish that something that other movies on my list that are less accessible have over this is that. There's some wild shit that I've never seen before that's so visionary in this movie. And then it's almost like they lean on certain storytelling cliches as a crutch to make it more accessible to get general audiences back into it. Mm. And I just wanted this right. yeah. I wanted this movie to go all in. Mm-hmm. I think that this movie I wanted it to be perfect, which isn't a fair criticism going into it, but I think that it really had the potential of being just a truly defining sci-fi movie and maybe the the execs at paramount paramount felt the same way because they didn't release this internationally in theaters they just dumped it on netflix yeah Yeah. i would love to make a supercut of this movie that cuts out certain chunks from the movie and just watch it that way because i feel like that could that could really make this movie just a nine or but between that that final sequence and the score you know that that music cue that carries throughout uh the bit with uh the oscar the oscar isaac like camcorder bit where the intestines are like swimming in the guy's (laughs) gut yeah and the 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 like fungus like yeah yeah shit on the wall whatever it's like a beautiful grotesque thing yeah those those visuals uh and the scares kept me on board just enough that the end paid off for me but this yeah this movie wins my clay thompson award 
Yeah, heat for, check. It wins the heat check. It wins award. the yeah, the, just the not even the heat check. Just the like spending like f- it spent like four games doing like decent to like pretty bad, and then it just fucking went off at the end. It, got, it just like, scored sixty. It got, in it got 12 minutes. sixty. It made like t- <laughs> it made like eleven three pointers. Like it was unbelievable at the end. Um, I, yeah, I think early on it relied on some pretty uh, under underwhelming character work and storytelling. But it had moments even early on that, like you just described, that I thought were pretty, pretty beautiful, pretty incredible. All right, so that's Annihilation, my number seven. So Hunter, your number seven. My number seven is the favorite. Okay, it is. We have to wait. We're gonna have to wait. All right. Okay, it is on my list very soon. Okay, we have to wait. We have to okay. wait. Okay, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, my number seven is one I don't think you guys have on your list. It is A Star Is Born. Hell yeah. Damn, that's pretty high. I holy shit! This movie I thought was unbelievably well done in so many aspects, and it's getting a lot of shit, which makes a lot of sense because of what it is and who made it and who's in it and what. It's, it's Oscar chances are pretty much fucked at this point. Yeah, it's it'll still win some shit. I I don't doubt that that it'll still kind of come out. Um, yeah, but it's when it came out, everyone's like sweep, and whenever that happens to a movie, you know it's probably not going to sweep anything. Mm-hmm. Uh. I but yeah I thought in retrospect I watched I found a couple of scenes on YouTube just to think like am I going crazy right now that were unbelievably well directed uh it was maybe a little uneven particularly in the editing room at times but I thought the directing was it it was more than like an actor's good directing it was just like good directing um but my favorite performance of the year it's it's like 1A and 1B with Tony Collette with Lady Gaga um I thought the script was fucking amazing because it made such a big dumb story feel small and personal and uh even like achievable in reality uh which is extremely hard when you have a movie starring bradley cooper and lady gaga to make it feel it was written as if it were an indie film like it it was that level of personability which which is crazy because it's like the fourth remake yeah, this. exactly. Yeah. This, there was there was a lot going against this movie. I didn't even think I would like it very much at all. Uh, the songs still get stuck in my head from time to time. Um, really, really, really uh, good soundtrack. Um, and it didn't. It was not just like taking Queen songs. Yeah, <laughs> it was. It's actual. Well, it's songs. really. Yeah. It's really the two leads singing. I mean, yeah. I, I think we mentioned that in our review is that it's so powerful to see Lady Gaga really belt out these songs and put in a fucking performance yeah. at the same time. I'm, yeah, and it had I mean it had faults, but for all its faults, it took me on an emotional journey that I never got off the train for. I was on board the whole time. It had a it had a you know an impact. Every scene had the emotional impact on me that I, I thought it was supposed to have on me. The whole sequence leading up to the shallow performance is something that should not work. Like going from from singing a little ditty in the parking lot to performing it in front of a huge crowd on paper that's nonsense yeah. a lot and of it, it shouldn't have worked and it's a they knock it out of the park it's like that whole sequence of 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 uh her like being picked up at the at her house and then being taken to the the stage to then go on the stage and sing all of that is perfection. Yeah, this is absolute it, perfection. It is a big time like movie movie story told in a way that is respectful to the audience's intelligence. Mm-hmm. And I I loved it for that. Also I, Sam Elliott. 
yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. There, were, you know, a couple moments that were really dumb. Um, but that's I, I yeah. th- it the was sh- the Chappelle bit was a little shaky. Yeah. Yeah, I loved him. Well, that's what I was gonna say. Was I think that the first act is amazing. I love the Pretty first act. Perfect. I love the first act. How this movie starts is incredible, and I just thought the second act had me legitimately bored at moments. I was just waiting for them to get back on stage for something to happen, but then it kind of it fell into a little bit of movie star cliches or like I guess in this case uh, like famous singer cliche movie tropes and that's the one thing that was holding this back I still really enjoyed this movie Um, it's around 20 so like it's still like it still think it's like an 8 out of 10 but Mm. I just I I wanted a little bit more from it I still have I'm not worried about this movie's Oscar chances I think that it'll still do also you know we definitely said this during our review but fucking Bradley Cooper you know, as a director and as an actor, like he makes some great choices here. Yeah, I think I think he's getting a bunch of he's starting to get crap for his performance, and I thought that his performance was. So, I actually think that it's his, probably. I think his performance is better than Lady Gaga's. Yeah, like it's because I, I, think I think this is his best performance. Period. I don't think that this movie works at all if he's not a great actor. Yeah, I think that this movie completely falls apart if you don't buy his because no matter how good Lady Gaga is, you need to feel his sorrow. Yeah, especially like, in the in the like towards the end. Yeah, you have to film. feel. Yeah, yeah, you have to feel his his desperation, his sorrow, but also the the fact that he's a good-natured person that you want to root for even though you know you shouldn't it's a tough tough character um it's not while talking it is yeah lady gaga's character is she did amazing but it's a lot more straightforward of a character Mm -hmm. you know who gets my uh i I give the dion waiters award because Mm -hmm. very limited minutes best supporting actor sam elliott Sam yeah. Elliott is so goddamn good in yeah. this movie. Just, that truck backup. He man. only, yeah, he just doesn't even have to try. That's yeah. how good Sam Elliott is, is that it just all comes off so effortlessly. You even, sold the tires. Even, yeah, I was going to say, even whenever the script, I think, is not very good and it's extremely corny at points, he still sells it and makes it not laughable. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so that's A Star is Born, Drew's number seven. I'm so glad it made your list. That's that's awesome. Uh, so now we're at no, my number six, which is The Favorite. So uh, we're, we're going to have to wait, wait, motherfucker. My number five and my number six are pretty interchangeable. But for my number six, it is a pretty dramatic movie. Um, I don't know if you guys saw it. It is Mission Impossible Fallout. Hell mm. yeah. Um, didn't make my list. It didn't make your list. Oh, I have man. It, it's so close. I have it at number uh, 13. So so close, but not quite there. I knew I, you were going to have it, so th- I wanted to give some other movies a chance. This just, like, what does this list even mean? Because I've now seen, I watched Mission Impossible before I came in to do the podcast today on Blu-ray. Mm. Um, this movie kicks so much ass. I've now seen this movie four different times. It is, like, by far the most movie of this year that I'm probably going to watch the most, maybe with one other, which is in my top two or three. Um this movie is just it's it's a near perfect action movie. It gets my fuck yeah and, he did that award. Yeah. No, that's the thing is I'm still I've watched this movie four times and I still watch some of the set pieces. I'm like, holy fuck. Like I cannot believe that he actually that Tom Cruise really did that? is this insane. He is literally a crazy person to actually do these things. And we're getting Scientology two more. aside. And we're getting two more. Also with Christopher McQuarrie. Yeah. Like it's Hell yes. I just think Christopher McQuarrie, I don't even understand how they did some of the shots that are in this movie. The fact that they had to just be like dangling an IMAX camera out of a fucking helicopter. Like, are you kidding me? (laughs) 
this movie is just I it's it's a near perfect action movie. I think that this is right up there with Mad Max Fury Road for the best action movies of the 21st century. Mm. That's how I, much I love this movie. I don't movie. quite put it up there because Mad Max was able to fit in some like actual societal societal themes and like social commentary in its crazy story. Fallout, it, that's not the kind of movie that... A Mission Impossible movie is not a Mission Impossible movie if it tries to do social commentary. Yeah, well... Like, that's I, not what those movies are about at all. It's not about societal commentary, but I do think that this is a movie more so than any other Mission Impossible movie, which elevates it uh, to being my favorite Mission Impossible movie. It uh, really adds to the character of Ethan Hunt, like yeah, no other yeah. movie does. Um we get so much about his background and kind of threads coming together from the five previous Mission Impossible movies, which, I mean, really, Mission Impossible has always just been kind of a standalone movie franchise. It's all about one movie to the next movie, and they're completely different stories, and you don't have to watch them. This movie had so many plot threads coming together from prior movies that all paid off in such a genius way. And... Gets to the point where you really question Ethan as a character. There's a scene um, where people are kind of accusing Ethan of going off the deep end and like losing his mind, and maybe he's a terrorist in his own right. <laughs> and you're like, actually, I could kind of see yeah. that because he seems like he's crazy enough that this actually might be the case. And you, I, I the fact that that worked for me in this movie with a person who's essentially Superman is just kind of unbelievable. Like, yeah, I, this I, movie is baffling this, with how good it is. It's my number 14. Uh, issues aside that I had with the movie, it does what it is trying to do so well. Yeah. Like, I mean, come on. I mean, that's <laughs> and that's why like, I can't knock this movie and be like, oh, well, I mean, it's not really like advancing society. It's not creating its own genre. Like, it, movies it's don't have to, to do, do that. that. Exactly. And I think that this is perfect for what it is. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, like convolution aside, it does the main thing it was trying to do, which is to build insane levels of suspense by the end of it. And by the end, your jaw is agape because it's it's absurd. Like it's just so you don't think about it and you're like, oh yeah, this this happens every day in the world. And then after the movie, you're like, that was so fucking ridiculous. <laughs> no, no, in no other movie would they jump out of a fucking plane to really get that shot. Like you don't. In you no don't other see movie that. would they drive a helicopter, fly a helicopter into another right. helicopter, yeah. just for one he, shot. This this dude, he jumped out of a plane and maintained a three foot barricade between him and the camera for the whole ride down. Yeah. Like what? I really and they designed that helmet was specially designed for him. So you could see his face. And that's what's so amazing is I watched this movie with a friend um, and who hadn't seen the movie before. And they're like, yeah, but I mean, this is obviously like this is a bunch of CGI cars, right? Tom Cruise isn't actually <laughs> driving the wrong way down the street, weaving in our cars. And I'm like, no, there's a reason why he doesn't wear a helmet while he's riding this motorcycle so fast, weaving in our traffic <laughs> so that you can see that's goddamn Tom Cruise yep. who's doing this. Yeah, I hope he survives the next two movies. I don't know. He's already got broken <laughs> bones based off of this one. So I will see what happens. Right, he's going to yeah. kill himself making these movies, and <laughs> I am all here to throw money at him. Yeah. Mission Impossible Fallout is Hunter's number six. So, Drew, your number six. Uh, first Reformed. Do wait we, for it. Do we have you to wait? Gotta, so. you, you we're going to have to wait for it. it. All right. What's the number of, uh, five? So, my number five. Top five. Oof. Is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Wait for it. Yeah, we got to wait. Hell yeah. Um, okay. 
What's your five? My number five, and I'm pretty sure that we're not going to have to wait for this one, is Li Cheng Dong's Burning. Mm. Wow, that's pretty high. Yeah. Holy shit. Um, this is my favorite foreign film of the year. Sorry, Roma. I think that Roma is beautifully directed, but this movie gave me a feeling that I've only really had in watching David Lynch movies, in which like it really feels like I'm putting puzzle pieces... I'm actively working to put puzzle pieces together while watching this movie. I mean, you guys probably understand this, and maybe the viewers do too, whenever sometimes you watch something that's like... Uh, a quote-unquote artsy movie, and it almost feels like homework, like putting it all together. Yeah. I think that this is the best possible version of that, where it's exciting to put the pieces together. It's been like uh, about a week, it's been about a week and a half, two weeks since I've seen this movie, and I'm still actively thinking about it. This movie is not, it has burned itself into my brain, <laughs> like just trying to figure out what everything means. It has this love triangle aspect to it. It has this psychological thriller aspect to it. It has kind of a missing person plot line to it. This movie shouldn't work. And it's amazing. Like right after this movie got out that night, I went home and I read, um, I believe it's called bridges burning the short story that this uh, movie is based off of to try and see if that would shed some more light on this. And I think that Lee Chang Dong, what he did was he elevated this source material into creating something that is much more cinematic mm. and really dramatic in just such an effective way. I love this movie. I think that this is probably going to be, I, I, it might have my, uh, my award for, uh, most likely to go back to just because I think that this movie is really near perfect. Do you think, and there's, I think some, that, there's some hidden things in there? Oh, absolutely. Kind of like uncover the mystery if you well, watch I mean, it a couple more times. And there's even things where I've been thinking through it a lot and reading other kind of, plot summary things to remind myself of certain aspects and you're like oh my god okay that makes sense for this thing that happens later on little tiny things that aren't made to be any kind of a big deal um this movie is so quiet in the best possible way and it has just such a um the scene of her dancing topless the po what's the poster it's so beautiful. It's so One of the beautiful. best moments of the year. And I mean, the fact that this all takes place in this house in which you can literally see the border of North Korea, like right there, yeah, just you like can you hear. can hear the North Korean <laughs> propaganda blasting on yeah. speakers. It is so visceral. Uh, what I'll say about this movie is that um, I really did not connect with the main character much. I, I found him uh, just very, very unlikable. Uh, he's a he's a big asshole, and there's not much there, uh, at least on first viewing, to make me like really care about him or be invested in in his journey. Um, Were you I more was... invested in Ben and Stephen Young's Hell character? Yeah. Hell yeah, he As was this, so much more intriguing. I mean, yeah, well, Stephen Young plays this character, and they call it out in the movie itself. He's Gatsby. He's this person who's younger, who has all this wealth. It's very mysterious how exactly he has all of this money because he doesn't really yeah, work. Whenever like, they ask what I, you I do, play. yeah, whenever you <laughs> ask him what you do for a living, he says, I play. Like, it doesn't really make sense what exactly this guy is or who he is. Um, I actually really liked uh, Lee Jong-soo, uh, the, um, the character who plays the lead. I thought that he plays it really almost felt like a modern retelling of the great gatsby in certain ways where he was Ooh. kind of the tom mm-hmm. uh character okay. he's this kind of blank slate in which you can 
almost in certain parts you can kind of put yourself on. I mean, he is he does have some like pretty shitty things that he does uh, and everything else. But I mean, who else hasn't done shitty things in their life? Yeah. Even if they're not directly the things that he is doing. I'm um, gonna I'm gonna give a shout out to uh, Demi at a Yigbe. He has one of the best reviews on Letterboxd ever, and it's for this movie. And it's just. Because the the actor, the main actor, his name is Yu Aini. Yu Ahin. Ahin. And Demi's review is you versus the guy she told you not to worry about. Which is <laughs> very true. Because wow. that's what this movie is. It really, this movie <laughs> reminded me a lot of Twin Peaks, of the original Twin Peaks, where it's almost soap opera esque at certain points mm. with this love triangle. But there's this very dark uh psychological aspect underneath the surface that is just kind of brewing with tension it almost it gave me vibes of uh one of our favorite tv shows of last year homecoming mm-hmm. okay. where it's even when things are going right there's just something that doesn't sit he, right with you and about he anything slowly sips into the deep end and yeah. like before he knows that he's way in over his head um so i i didn't see this it's coming um, if you live in orlando it's coming to the enzy in this week well so. I didn't see this on purpose, uh, so as to maintain my my persona on the pod as the relatable everyman. Right, out of the three right. of us. Yeah, of I'm, course. I'm I'm the Vigo Mortensen of the podcast. Mm-hmm. Well, you oh, already boy. you already you teach saw... me how racism is uh, bad. I don't know nothing about no foreign film. You already <laughs> saw a movie where you have to read subtitles, so why would you? You do got that your again? one for the year. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I I shouldn't have started that bit because now I'm breaking character because my number five is Roma. <laughs> <laughs> Which are we gonna have to wait or what? Yes. Okay. Yes. We'll wait. wait a little, little longer. Uh, um, subtitles. I can't read. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that brings us to uh, my number four. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Minding the gap. That's my wait number four. Oh, okay. Wait for it. Well, we'll oh, wait. Shit. But yeah, that's also my number four. Okay. Um. I, so Hunter, what is your number four? My number four is eighth grade. Okay, we're waiting for that. Yeah. For uh. But yeah. So. Mining the uh, yeah we're waiting on mining so we're the gonna, gap. So, so now but swing back around to my number three. Your number three is what? Roma. So now we can talk about Roma. Roma. Okay. So it was your number five. Five. Your number ten. My number, number ten. 10. Okay. Yep. okay. Yeah, we did a whole episode on this movie. We don't have to go too deep in. You can go back and listen to that uh, to listen to our full thoughts. But I Coronza is a fucking master. Like he is one of the greats of our time right now. And he gave us a slice of his past yeah. and of his soul and his memory. And it's it's a work of art. I was... It should be cherished and loved and admired. <laughs> I was thinking about I, I the best comparison for this movie. This is one of those movies. A lot of these on my list are movies that if, you know, if you... If someone didn't like it and they came up and they were like, hey, I saw it, I didn't really like it. I'd be like, yeah, I get that. Uh, it's not for everybody. Um... It's very, very slow. I mean, we have like a three-minute tracking shot of her just doing chores and turning on and off lights around a house. Like, it's it's a movie I I can understand. I think the the comparison that I came to, and I think this is the the right one, is this movie is like a, a Renaissance mural painting. Or if, you know, what people were hired to do, like, just the walls of, like, or the ceilings of the Sistine Chapel. Yeah, yeah. Um, You can use your fancy words (laughs) or whatever. It's like when they did the painting of the man uh, with no, the pee-pee. I, 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 like, yeah. I like your Vigo. My Vigo is actually uh, Sylvester Bruce, Stallone. It's, it's Bruce Chanley mixed with Sylvester Stallone because <laughs> uh, I haven't seen Green Book. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's it's one of it's those paintings where I, I recently went to a museum in New York and I saw a bunch of these and I found them so interesting because they're not trying to tell a linear story. They are trying to make you – they're trying to tell – 
a, they're trying to capture an entire locale, an entire era, right? Um, instead of like just capturing like what's happening. So you'll look over in one corner and you'll be like, "Holy shit!" There's like a murder happening over here, and then you look up there and you're like, "Oh, there's a fucking angel like flying <laughs> around." And then you're over here and you're like, "Oh, look! The like Jesus is getting born over here." Yeah, um, all that, on one canvas. That is what this movie was for me, where it's just it wasn't trying to tell a super linear like strict story it was trying to paint a very broad image of what it was like for him specifically but also a whole lot of people and uh i i really appreciate it on that basis i yeah i agree with all that and i just think that uh as a hispanic i really really connected to this movie it it gives us a look at 70s mexico during a a time of political unrest and it also is a, a very precise slice of what Hispanic culture is kind of threaded around, which is this dynamic between the maid of the house and the the wealthy family that employs this maid. You know, I, I definitely remember in my youth uh, when I was still living in Colombia, when I was maybe, f- you know, uh, from birth to like six years old. There was a maid. There was a maid that mm-hmm. like helped raise me and that took me to school and and fed me and helped me study. And uh, she was a big, big part of my life before I came to America. And that is 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 something that is ingrained in a lot of Hispanic families and, and households. And that's this movie like it, it really explores what that means in a in a in a micro sense, but in this big, huge macro sense too. And the, the class, the, the social, the huge social implications of that. And that's what I think where this movie thrives. It's best is that it is a very, very small story, but this kind of big macro concepts that you're talking about are almost just happening in the background. It's just like, it depends on like where you put your focus on certain scenes and what you can kind of take out of the scene. Because yeah. you can tell this is the work of a master. This is somebody who has thought of all of these different ideas and put such complexity into his story. I mean, Corona said that he kind of made this movie as an apology uh, to, um, I can't remember the name, but his maid that he had growing Lebo. up. Lebo. And his mother as well. And his mother, because this movie is, it's it's beautifully gorgeous, and I think that it kind of, it represents, I mean, the same way that you were talking about Tully, I think this movie does an unbelievable job of really showing true empathy towards the women in its story. Yeah, this, yeah, uh, it's it's more linear, but in Children of Men, it, there is a storyline, and it's very like distinct what's the journey but that is that is a movie that is about how uh governments use crises to employ fascism Mm -hmm. and in very similar way this movie is there is a story but that's not what the movie is about the movie is not about the story Mm -hmm. um and i thought that that's that's insanely cool yeah i I really like that there's so much to unpack that we like we did a whole podcast on this and i don't think we even got to everything like just thinking about the the opening shot of the floor and how it reveals this reflection of the sky and just it's right there but it's also so far away yeah like that plane is so far away and the that whole idea i i think guillermo del toro did a whole uh, Twitter thread. He on, did. I, on all these like stray mm-hmm. observations. I uh, I very very wokely retweeted this. Good. <laughs> um, but off y- brand from I, from Max Keeble. Yeah, yeah, I know. I I abandoned my persona for a second <laughs> because I re- it's 
insanely cool, man. Like it's in what other age would you have uh, one of the greatest filmmakers of our time breaking down a movie and making observations that are not surface level, like yeah. extremely deep, smart observations about his friend's movie. Yeah. yeah like that's, that is so cool. Yeah. No, that's to me. It, this is that shows the heights of a uh, Twitter. Also, um, while we're talking about that, one of my favorite uh, uh, people on Letterboxd, if you don't follow him, is uh, Sean Baker, who mm-hmm. made The Florida Project mm-hmm. and Tangerine. Because his analysis, whenever he watches a movie, he rarely talks about whether or not it was like whether or not it was his favorite or his least favorite or anything like that. But he breaks down like, oh, yeah, you can tell this was shot with like 35 millimeter yeah, yeah, on yeah. a Panasonic whatever camera and everything else. Because it's somebody who, when you are in the industry like that, you can analyze it in a way that no critic could possibly mm-hmm. analyze it. And I think that's just, that's awesome. Pretty neat. Uh, oh, real quick, I really recommend the Director's Cut podcast. There is a conversation mm-hmm. between Alfonso Cuaron and Alejandro Iñárritu, and they go in on this movie. I highly, highly recommend it. They really talk about it in such like a transcendent way, talking about like where the feeling came from and like how Cuaron like just dove so deep into this material because of how personal it is. This shows that it's Inurito's turn next year. Like we had Inurito, <laughs> then Guillermo, and then Quaron, and now it's gonna circle back around. We're gonna Inur- get Inurito won the, the Oscar two years in a row for <laughs> Birdman and Revenant. So That's I think crazy. he might be good for Inurito's the most he's the most active of all of them yeah. right now in um, today's uh all right so that's Roma. That was our uh number Hunter's not- ten my you're three, three my and five. you're five. Yeah. Okay, so we're we're in the thick of it now. That was my number three. We're getting thick. So now we're on to Hunter's number three. My number three is First Reformed. Okay, so we can talk about it, or we're, are we waiting? Uh, we can... No, if if it's later on your list, we're waiting. We can wait on it, because it's, right. it's wow. almo- we're almost there. Okay. We're getting, to, we're getting to it. Uh, well, we might have to just get straight to it, because my, my number three is Spider-Verse. Okay. Wait for it. Oh! Okay. Holy shit. My number two is First Reformed. Okay, so now we can kind of get into First Reformed. All right, so this was your number three and your number uh, five. Mm -hmm. Six. Uh, Yes, it's my number six. Uh, Yeah, so I didn't get to talk about this movie with you guys when you talked about it. We never even went that deep. Oh, We couldn't because we were doing the podcast and we couldn't really talk too much about the storyline because you hadn't seen it yet. This is a movie that lends itself to not really knowing anything going on. Listeners... This movie is one of the best movies of the year. I want to have a little bit of a spoiler discussion, but I know most of you listeners haven't seen it. So if you want to we'll, pause we'll time now, stamp it. <laughs> it's on Amazon Prime. It's just about a little less than two hours long. Go see it. Everybody should see this movie. Check it out. It's a tremendous work of art. Yeah. Uh, it's and Okay, so <laughs> lot lot to talk about here with First Reformed. Um. I have last year we saw Mother, right? Stay with me. Uh, I said it was very similar to when I get drunk and then I take a sleeping pill. The, yeah. the dreams that I have, yeah. it is an it, it was a nightmare that you couldn't escape and that just viscerally affected you. This movie is the other side of the coin, the much shinier, better side of the coin to Mother. It is a reality that you cannot escape and that makes you feel unbelievably desperate and like like you're like clawing at the walls of a cage basically right the feeling generated by this movie is stronger than any movie i saw this year uh 
well, any negative feeling that I felt from a movie this year. Stronger than Hereditary, which was a horror movie. The horrors I felt watching First Reform, which is not a horror movie, were a lot more pronounced. Uh, and that's a compliment. Yeah. <laughs> I I can't... I, I've, I try to wrap my brain around this movie, and I always just think about, like, what I what I felt walking out of the theater and the sorrow I felt for our planet. You know, this is the same sorrow that Ethan Hawke feels and, and the same sorrow that drives him to, to you know, fucking borderline commit a terrorist attack. <laughs> like, he was literally about to... to blow himself up in the, in um, the face of yeah of of climate change and, and environmental i i genuinely want to say if you ha- are struggling with mental illness on the depressive side of things i think you probably shouldn't watch this movie it's harrowing it uh, it, it, it puts it it makes you um face this brutal brutal reality this inescapable reality that the planet is doomed essentially that we are on the cusp of the point of no return and that humanity has pretty much as a species single-handedly destroyed our home. And it, it, it doesn't, the movie doesn't, it doesn't rub your face in it. It just shows it to you and it shows it to you in this amazing character and probably the best performance of the year. Oh yeah, I think that Ethan Hawke by far is the best performance of the year. And and how this man it becomes completely unraveled mentally and, and emotionally all because he's confronted with this reality and this inescapable fact that like our home, our, our earth is it's fucked. Yeah. Yeah. And in the middle of that we have a lot of biblical themes going on. Obviously, he's a pastor, but story-wise as well, we have a lot of biblical parallels. Uh, we have, I think I would agree, the best performance of the year with Ethan Hawke. Truly empty. Just, I mean, and <laughs> speaking of emptiness, I mean, the direction of this movie, Paul Schrader, the fact that we see so much in movies nowadays, people using this dynamic camera movement, this floating camera aspect to it. I mean, you talk about Mission Impossible, it's a movie where the camera just glides seamlessly. This movie is just, it's very, very classic. It's just lots of just tripod work, just and the camera just stays still. Yeah. And that, to the point where a character will walk out of the frame, and the camera still just lingers there for a couple of seconds. I know Paul Schrader said that he did this for the intention of leaving room for the Holy Spirit yeah. in these scenes. And, like, you can feel that. You can feel the weight of every shot that is yeah. in this movie. Well, he wanted, to, he wanted to explore the whole idea of transcendental cinema. He's talked a lot about this. Yep. He literally wrote a book about it. <laughs> and that, that his thinking behind those moments of restraint were to make the moments of transcendence really soar. Because there's a sequence in this movie where our two main characters lay on top of each other <laughs> and they go on a magical mystery ride <laughs> to somewhere, to this vision of, you know, where the planet should be and where it actually is. Yeah. And the, 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 the disgusting and you can, horror of that. And I will say, and this is a movie that uh, there have been a lot of really fantastic scores this year. This is a movie that I love the minimalist score. Mm-hmm. There's almost no music playing except for maybe some orchestral stuff that's just playing that's actually people 
playing the music and the scene itself. But this movie is almost completely silent. And that just, again, adds to this empty feeling that you have with somebody who's, they're a, a depressed pastor who has cancer of some kind. And... They're just trying to find like some kind of meeting. He's like literally oh, at this shit. point where he's his job forces him to tell people that everything's going to be okay when himself he doesn't think that everyone's going to be okay. Yeah, he's worried about the future. I think I think Schrader's script should be getting more recognition. Yeah, maybe. I think that this deserve like it really should win one of or at least be nominated for best original screenplay. It's amazing he's able to like you know have this huge huge theme of like the the climate change and the environmental detriment but also like comment on religion and institutionalized religion and all these like big churches like uh, commenting on like the relationship between corporate america mm-hmm. and like mainstream christianity and all of it just fits in perfectly into the larger theme of of this man reckoning with his faith and with with the 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 state of the world. Yeah. Uh, I do want to say maybe one thing holding the script back is uh, every woman in this movie exists to think about men in this movie. That is their sole purpose in life. Okay. Uh, you know what I mean? Right. That's, that's yeah, all I they, mean, that's when all you do. have Ethan Hawke's wife character who's just always just worried about Ethan Hawke. And I mean, Amanda Seyfried does give a f- phenomenal performance yeah, in this great. movie. And yeah. I think that she's she's being really under underrated. Well, an interesting thing about her character is that she is her lines are almost delivered like they're almost written in a biblical fashion. They're very uh, written, especially when compared to the other characters that are a lot more naturalistic. And that's definitely on purpose. I mean, her name's fucking Mary. Um <laughs> But yeah, it's it's definitely it's I think she did a great job with it. Um, but at times it felt like I get what he was doing. He was trying to say this is, you know, Mary. <laughs> um, but at times it was like this is a hollow character a little bit. Uh, another couple actors I wanted to shout out Cedric the Entertainer is in this movie and he's really he's good. Great. Like that he's- moment where he literally turns his back on Ethan Hawke. Yeah. It's, it's just moment. it's just incredible visual storytelling, but I mean, he really he brings a life and a vibrance to this movie that this movie otherwise doesn't have. I think that you kind of need his character to show this person who, yeah, they run like a mega church, but they're just this very charismatic pastor figure. And you want you get the sense that like he's not dumb. He knows oh, yeah. that Ethan Hawke has a point, that Reverend Toller mm-hmm. has a point, but he's like, man, I'm running a whole operation yeah, he's like, here. I yeah. can't do this. We're involved especially, with like, You get where he's donors. coming from. Well, you really yeah. do. He's and not And especially villain. whenever we're at the other person I wanted to shout was Michael Gaston, Gaston, who plays Ed Balk, the yeah, he's leader. From, uh, he's from The Leftovers. Yeah, Leftovers fame. Yeah. Um, who's running this conglomerate and he just he feels dirty like just every time he's on the scene you're like ah i just want to punch this dude i I wanted to shout him out because he is so good at making me hate him yeah so exactly and that is a trait like that is truly yeah and that the discussion they have in the restaurant was a great scene i really really loved that scene it was not beating you over the head it was genuinely it felt that conversation has been had so many times by yeah. so many people. I want to I want to talk about the ending, but before we do that, I just want to do a quick anecdote. And and Lee gave me permission to share this, but Lee is is someone my, my girlfriend. She's someone who she feels this this uh, um, emotional connection to the earth. She's somebody who has this 
constant state of despair because she feels the planet's state of of just dire dire uh you know horrible shit is happening guys (laughs) (laughs) and she feels that and she lives with that every day and i think this movie is something that is so important and people should watch this movie because maybe maybe just maybe it'll make them feel that for a minute or two or a second that true connection to our planet and to our environment and it's pain and it's constant suffering and pain and when we i saw this movie with her it was what maybe summer yeah it, it came, came out, out in like july i remember we went horrible out time by the producers bringing this movie out in this very quiet yeah. slow movie in the middle of summer blockbuster season and we we went and saw this movie and we came home and and she sobbed she just cried her eyes out and i held her because she was like that movie that's it that's what i feel every day that paul schrader like he he got it he knows he knew somehow he tapped into something uh and visualized it through his filmmaking that she knows in in every single second of her life yeah this this movie is uh i i talked about when we talked about eighth grade uh i talked about how it is anxiety distilled into its purest form this is helplessness yeah and and just hollowness and sorrow and depression distilled into just a ball of of emotion uh that is that's why i i really might want to caution some people from watching it is because it brought me to a place that i've been to before that i really like like did yeah, it's not. just pure darkness and despair. Yeah, it is. It's a place that, it, like, if I had seen this at a certain point in my life, I would have like spiraled for a week. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it is truly visceral, and and largely because this is a man who naturally he's our protagonist. We're meant to empathize with him, um, particularly like you know those of us who watch it who are already on the climate change train. We sympathize with that struggle and with that. Uh, what he's going through trying to digest this information uh and his our protagonist our surrogate's solution is to suicide bomb himself yeah. uh which is again the distillation of depression but also tricky to watch if you have depression right mm. that's that's a little scary well he he throws himself into a rabbit hole you know because he is so lost he has lost his faith entirely that he finds a, a sort of meaning in this in martyrdom. In, well, yeah, this, much, this yeah. environmental radicalism that that uh, Amanda Seyfried's uh, husband was suggesting. You know, the movie opens with probably what like a twenty-minute-long conversation between those two characters mm-hmm. and kind of establishing the main themes of the movie, and it all begins there because that's when Toller is introduced to that idea of environmental radicalism and yeah. and and the the vest the bomb vest is inherited from that character so now going into into the ending like if you've if you've listened up to this point and you don't want to know how the movie ends now's the time to to pause it and and skip forward or come skip back skip ahead like a minute and a half <laughs> but this movie ends much like schrader's script for taxi driver ends 
on a very ambiguous note that lets you choose what happened. Yeah, and it's interesting. I was talking to Colin, a friend of the pod, and he said he took the ending uh, literally, st- literally, like dead. Literally, so he he drops the Drano and he he sees he, her and he they sees em- her and they embrace and it's all good. Yeah, all I I took it the exact opposite. Me of literally. too. Literally, mm-hmm. I I took it extremely. He's dead. He drinks the Drano and it's a yeah. Vision. I took it how I took the end of Birdman. Well, and I I kind of oh, took okay. it as he like maybe he did go through with this whole thing and it's just kind of like this sense of delusion like maybe he takes the Drano and then he bombs the church oh my and everything. god that's kind of wow. how I, I took it from an even darker place that I, okay. he actually goes through with this all but like in his own mind he achieves this sense of peace and that's visualized by seeing him wrap the barbed wire around mm-hmm. himself and like sacrificing himself like how he sees Jesus sacrificing himself oh, wow. for his children he's sacrificing himself by killing a person who's in charge of this horrible environmental yeah, see, conglomerate. I don't, I don't think he. Uh, I don't think he bombs the place because he sees her in the church. So him panicking when he sees her and taking the vest off. I really think that happens because he he's essentially like in love with her. He's the closest. She's the closest thing he sees to like any yeah, source that is, of hope. I mean, humanity. Uh, Schrader is trying to be kind of even-handed with when he talks about this ending, but it's from what every interview I've heard, it seems like he really intended this for this to be his, you know, his dying vision. His the light he sees at the end of the tunnel is what he thinks heaven is like, which is right. kissing Amanda Seyfried, <laughs> which is true for uh, many of us. Yeah, and she doesn't care that he's wrapped in barbed wire. She's like, yeah, you can still get it. I'm getting, but I'm then, poked, but in that whatever. case, then what do you take as being the meaning from the barbed wire? If it's not like some kind of like a, it, I see the reason why I, I visual I, like that was the meaning that I came to was that he thought of himself as like a Jesus type figure, as he would sacrifice himself for the greater yeah, good. Yeah, well, yeah, and I, yeah, exactly. It's a Christ thing. It's very heavy on the imagery of it's. It my, you know, he's not going to nail himself to a cross because then he can't drink Drano because he's, <laughs> he's stuck on a cross. Yeah. You can't do that. And barbed wire is a very powerful, potent image that you know makes you think about that type of thing. Yeah, to me, it was it was more him just being, just giving up, essentially feeling so helpless and incapable of of living any longer because he had fallen so deep into this rabbit hole yeah, and of the climate despair. Yeah, it was a I well I can't I can't do my initial thing but I do want to die in a very, you know, a very biblical fashion. I want mm-hmm. to it, it, the imagery of it was extremely strong. Like right. it was cra- it, to watch it was brutal. Um this movie in general is extremely brutal, extremely uh hollow. <laughs> So it's it just ter- I'm never gonna watch this again I mean, because it really truly put me in a place that I did right. not like, I did not like being. In. It's kind of I mean I I'm glad that I did rewatch this movie and I kind of want to rewatch it again because sometimes I just like being a little sad boy, but. <laughs> this movie just like I love how we've gotten to the point with filmmaking with editing especially in post and everything that we get this heavy saturation of colors and beautiful it feels so luscious and vibrant and instead this movie does the complete opposite of that everything is gray everything is cloudy and barren and gross Yeah. yeah it all like it feels it feels sad. Like you look at the screen and it just feels sad. Yeah. yeah. I, I, every shot of Ethan Hawke uh, from from behind the laptop that's a close in on him on the laptop was like almost like terrifying. The yeah. way the way the light from the laptop shines on his face and like, uh, you know, accentuates all his wrinkles. And yeah. Flaws. No, it, it, it was very, very purposeful. The filmmaking in this movie is so purposeful that it's unbelievable. Yeah. It's, it's beautiful, but also 
horrifying. I wish I wish it was getting more love. And I, right now, I'm I'm getting emotionally prepared for Ethan Hawke not to be nominated for an Oscar, Dude, and yeah, that hurts me. It, it hurts me. Dude, Green Book, come on. All right, so that's Get First real. Reformed. If you skipped to this point, thanks for uh, coming back if you didn't want to listen to those spoilers. First Reformed was my number two, Hunter's number three, and Drew's number six. Okay, so what Is are we on correct? now? What so we- we're at my number two. Yeah. My number two, speaking of uh, dark, bland uh, color palette movies, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Hell yes. <laughs> yeah, this is my number three. Where is it for you? It was down at number five. So okay. still, so still we're all it, we all have this in the top five. Yeah, yeah it's it's I, it's like the platonic ideal of a kids movie. I think, I think that. Like, well, I think that this is more than a kids. Movie. I think that this is one of the best superhero movies ever made. Yeah, yeah. I think that this movie is. Definitely the Truly. best of 2018. Oh, by yeah. far the best of 2018. I think that this is right there with Spider-Man 2 for me, as far as just being like as good as this genre can be. Dark Knight too. Um, even I'd put this movie ahead of Dark Knight. To be honest, Probably, I think that yeah. this this movie doesn't have. There's no wasted screen time. Well, there's in no this fat. Movie. There's no fat whatsoever. Yeah, and and you, in a movie that's two hours long, there should be some fat in this movie, right. and there just isn't. Um, I think that this movie is just truly excellent. It speaks on so many different levels. Not only is it just a great genre movie, it also just really, I mean, we see this character, Miles Morales, who we've never seen visualized on the big screen before, and just little aspects like... In the very beginning of the movie, whenever he's just like, you hear the th- you hear Sunflower playing, which, by the way, that song gets stuck in my head constantly. Mm-hmm. I love that song. Um, I've gotten really into Sunflower. It's a great song. <laughs> and uh, just kind of hearing that and him just walking down the street and you hear the code switching happening that people, especially of like Latino or from different cultures, kind of have to do with their own day-to-day lives where they go around. They'll, he'll speak a little Spanish and then he walks into his like- No all, subtitles. Walks into his all-white school and has to act like prim and proper and i just think that this movie is absolutely genius this whole message of anyone can wear the mask like it gets me it it almost gets me teary-eyed just thinking about it because that's how affecting it is to me that i really just it's it's such a level of hope i mean i kind of i told the story about whenever i walked out of the theater and there was a little um black or latino boy who's probably six or seven years old say to his mother do you hear that mom anyone can wear the mask anyone can wear the mask and i just started bawling because i think that that's it's the kind of hope that really that mr rogers gave me uh with won't you be my neighbor of this level of compassion and Mm -hmm. i think this uh this message of anybody can be a hero is something that is just timeless yeah it's this is a movie that uh, really pays attention to its story. Uh, it doesn't get lost in jokes. It really it sticks to a narrative that is very emotional, has a crescendo, um, has payoff, has everything you would want from just a basic story in any form. Stellar cast. Yeah, the, I mean, yeah, all the voice acting is done impeccably. The animation is uh, extremely unique, uh, like uh, just a blast of color in your face. Um, and yeah, the message is beautiful and it doesn't feel like they're hitting you over the head with anything and that's i i bet that there are some people who think that it is hitting you over the head if i were to guess because some people think that everything is beating right. you in the head. but i mean I'm, but, i just i wish that this movie would get more love than just like oh it's the best animated movie of the year like no this is one of the best films of the year yeah and it just kind of gets 
thrown under the rug because it is an animated movie, which is so sad because they use this animation and this whole style of filmmaking to its fullest potential. Yeah, and and a, and you know, like we mentioned in our v- review, a, a a genius understanding of what the character of Spider Man is and what he represents. Yeah, it, and how you can explore that and and you know completely open that uh, that box of toys yeah if there's because you were talking about how there wasn't like a get out this year this is my get out this year this is my movie that encapsulates the feeling of the year because a we're oversaturated with hero movies yeah um and this movie plays off of that um and we are veering culturally more toward positivity because of the darkness surrounding us in real life uh at this moment depending on who you are um and and on top of that, it has the cultural message of, you know, a Get Out or a Black Panther or any right. of these movies. And the story goes toe to toe with any of those movies. Yeah, there's a there's a new trailer for the new Spider-Man movie, uh, Far From Home. And I watched it and I was like, well, I just want to <laughs> Spider-Verse. Yeah, I know. No, it honestly, it, it sucks that the <laughs> I love Jill and that the but... best version of Spider-Man is a Sony animated movie. Like yeah. it almost just bums me out for because Far From Home. From, far from home, I was really excited about, but now it's just like Tom Holland. I'm like, it's yeah, not this Spider-verse. is cool, but I want to see Miles again. I guess, like, I love Miles yeah. now. I think Spider Man, I guess, is like the hottest superhero once again. It was so dead, like, right three years ago. I mean, ago. Andrew Garfield in those movies yeah. kind of ruined it three years ago, just... and now it's just like we have two different properties that and are, the are Spider and it. the game. Yeah, and the and Spider Man the, game, the like, game, which is one of the best games what of a, the year. What, <laughs> like, a, what a turnaround for Spider Man. Um, I oh another thing. I mean, we were talking about how affecting this is in a dramatic tone. This is by far the funniest movie of the year. Like yeah, I, I saw it a second time. It it holds up all I the jokes. I really, funny. I really wish that I could have seen this another time in theaters. Just because if I could have, there's a chance this could have been my number one of the year. Because this movie just it it killed me. Like I've never laughed so hard at a fucking superhero yeah. movie. And to the to the point <laughs> of the animation, this gets the highly coveted award of. Honestly, visually stunning. <laughs> oh man! Oh, claps! Yeah. Claps! Wow! 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 wow. Good job um, by you guys. Yeah, Sony. this also wins the uh, award for Letterboxd Stand Movie of the yeah. Year. Yeah, Letterboxd, highest rated movie of the year the, for Letterboxd. There's a consensus on there at least. Yeah. Like everyone is nuts I'm, for this. movie. I'm glad that at least Letterboxd that the people, <laughs> the like film culture of the average people and not critics are standing. Yeah, well, this movie. especially so because the average person on Letterboxd is about our age. Yeah. <laughs> so what's have, the what's what are the chances that this movie gets? nominated for best picture i would put it at less than 10 percent. if this got nominated for best picture i would be i don't give a shit about the other nominations if this gets nominated for best picture that would fill me with such happiness green book could sweep the oscars (laughs) bohemian rhapsody could sweep the oscars not even care if this just gets nominated toy story 3 was nominated uh up was nominated uh Uh, i think that this is gonna be a 10 movie year like I think there's gonna be ten nominees yeah, this that'd year. That'd be chill. So um, there's there's a possibility. All right, so that's Spider Verse. That was my my five hunters two and Drew's number three. Look so, at you, just are you writing this down? Yeah, yeah. I was like, there's no way he's that, <laughs> yeah, that he's smart. Just, <laughs> <laughs> Ernest is actually a genius. He's been hiding <laughs> a, this a whole beautiful time. mind. I'm, yeah, I'm Matt Damon. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're we're uh, Drew's number two. Yeah, uh, my number two is the favorite. Hell yeah! All right, let's get into it. Um, I was this was my six and my seven. seven. I've yeah, I've stewed on this movie a lot 
after you know after watching it because it it was making a run for my favorite of the year, which I thought was like solidly locked in yeah. place. It's a favorite, but not the. <laughs> this is the favorite uh, to be my number two. Okay. <laughs> I think this is going to be my favorite for best picture at the Oscar because this yeah, movie will definitely nom- get nominated, yeah. and I'm pulling for this movie. So I think hard. I I mean hope I think Olivia Coleman deserves a fair shot. I think uh, Rachel Weisz and Emma Stone both the deserve screenplay. Uh, yeah, the screenplay I yeah. think is your ghost direction. Like this is probably and. I really thought it was going to be First Man whenever it first came out that was going to be nominated for every technical Oscar. But after seeing this, it's like, oh, no, yeah, costume design, set design. Like, yeah, this is, it's, yeah. It's, it's incomparable in a lot of ways in terms of tone. It's not even very it's not even super comparable to Yorgos's past movies because it's written by different people. Um, and there's a snappiness and a extreme level of humor in the dialogue. This is the this is, I think, the hardest I, I laughed in a movie this year. Uh, th- this and Spider-Verse are mm-hmm. up there. Um, and it just, it has, I don't know if it, it has a feeling that I can only call special when I watch it. I was like, th- I've never seen anything like this and I want to see everything like this. Like, I, I don't, I can't com- really compare it to much. It has, you know, it's drawing, like it has like the filmmaking of like, like a PTA mixed with Lynch, <laughs> which, which is like a lofty thing to say, like to compare it to that. But it is immaculately directed. Yeah. I mean, this it, is this is by far Yorgos's most accessible movie, and I also think it's his best movie. Yeah. Um, I mean, this isn't as dry in the dialogue as something like. Um, I haven't seen Dogtooth, but as the lobster or yeah. especially killing of a sacred deer, which are just so flat that it makes you like question what exactly you're watching. This is, di- this is very different from that. Yeah. Um, and I think that perfectly encapsulates life in London. Everything is cloudy and gray and, and- gross. Yeah. yeah. It's just like a stinky movie. Yeah. You just <laughs> this don't movie smelled bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only one that I saw this year that smelled bad. Except for first reform during that yeah. certain, I just I found myself very, very, very engaged in this movie. Kind of like what I was saying with Suspiria, but to an even higher yeah, degree. Exactly, this movie, every scene just draws you in. It, it has such a momentum; it just plays with you almost. It's so funny. Yeah. It's so it's like hard to watch at points. It it is it makes your jaw drop like seven different times. Uh, it just it does everything. It does fucking everything. This man. is a movie where like I couldn't wait for the next scene. Like I was like, yeah. I love this next scene. I love this scene that I'm watching. I can't wait for it to keep going. I'm gonna I'm gonna give an award here. What's that? Nipple of the year oh. to Emma Stone because <laughs> we get we in in countless movies we when we get nip, it's just nip for the sake of nip. Mm-hmm. It's just like mm-hmm. oh hey, there's a nip. But in this movie, there are. There are story implications for that nipple. When Rachel Weisz sees that nipple <laughs> on the bed. For anybody who hasn't seen this movie yet is like, what the fuck? It's, a, is- it, it's like a power move. Yeah. It's a power move. And and Emma Stone has talked about it that there was it was not in the script for her to show her her bare nipple. And she suggested it. She was like, you know what? In this shot, in this scene, I should show my nipple yeah. to assert my dominance in the whole mm-hmm. game that they're playing over Rachel Vice. Yeah, and the she said that the pointiness of it was method. Yeah, it, yeah, it was yeah. it was not prosthetic. <laughs> right. Well, they were worried on the day because it was it wasn't quite cold enough. Yeah, and she just she, was she like, thought about it really hard yeah, and it, she just it needed to be like yeah. as erect ha- as possible. Hats off to the your nipple. Yeah. Uh and the rest of her performance I could do without. <laughs> no. No. But I'm, I'm serious. I'm serious. Like it's not a bit. Like there's a whole 
there's a whole story implication to that nipple. It's like a whole power move. It's amazing. I've never seen anything like that. Yeah, nip of the year. Um, hmm, my nip of the year is gonna go. We'll get, we'll talk about it in Max a second. Keeble. Yeah, <laughs> Josh Peck. Uh, yeah, as always, it goes to Keeble. Um, it's, his nip isn't even in the movie, but it, I just think about it. You know. <laughs> um, <laughs> we should stop talking about nipples. Um. This movie is awesome. It's so <laughs> it's, it's, it's great. so it's, fucking awesome. It's I, so weird, so bizarre, so beautiful, but so disgusting. The the dinner dance sequence that we have yeah. is just so it's bizarre. Like, yeah, it's, it's you want you're like laughing, but also just like what am yeah, I watching exactly. and like questioning what the implications it's, of it are. It's so complex. Yeah, in the movie. It's proper, and then it, and it's incredibly dark, and then it's slapstick and scenes like that. What's, it's just so good. What's amazing is this almost feels like it's Trojan horsing its way into the Oscars because they made like a period piece that with pretty costumes and it involves a queen and everything else on the surface you look at and you're like yeah that's an oscar movie but then you actually watch the movie and you're like oh this is this is weird (laughs) this isn't a movie that the classic oscar people would like right like i wonder if the old people are just gonna like start the movie and just be like oh this looks nice i'll check it off for a few uh few awards here and there (laughs) and not actually watch it and realize where this movie goes yeah uh, incredible! I I can't say enough about this movie. I, I, you know, it's not for everybody. Obviously, plenty of people are not going to like it as much as I do. But I love this yeah, movie. Yeah, it's it's great. I, I'm curious to see how rewatchable it is too. Once uh, we're able to check it out, so that's the favorite. It was uh, Drew's number two, Hunter's number seven, and my number six. So Oof. here we are, here number we are. one. Oh, and I'm I can guess what everyone's number one so we're gonna I've be. got a curveball. I, I know yeah, I think I know what yours is actually. Mine is eighth grade. Mine is also eighth grade, but yours well, is Well, you're gonna have to wait because mine is a wrinkle in time. <laughs> so let's talk about this movie. Oprah Winfrey. <laughs> yeah. I'm you just, know I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, guys. It's Venom. It's Venom. Yeah, I know. I was trying to avoid recency bias, so I, I ended up putting a wrinkle in time around like number eleven. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the last so, one on my whole whole list. Um my number one is Minding the Gap. Yeah. Um, this is, I really, I kept asking myself while making this list, am I really going to have a documentary at number one? Well, what what number is this for you? Is it on your list? This was both of our number fours. Okay, yeah, yeah, you're right. This could, so I, I, yeah. I kept just thinking in my head, like, can I do this? Am I ready to pull the trigger? A few years ago, Tickled came out, and that was in my top five. Um, do I we, think can that, we do a little spoiler chat here? I think that yeah, we should. Let's because I want to I, I want to talk a little bit about the basis, just because I think this is a movie. A lot of these movies, it's like I can recommend this movie if X. This movie, I want to recommend to every person. I think that every every human being should watch this movie um, because I think that if you've ever been a teenager, you should watch this movie. So that's everyone. Or if you are a teenager right now. Yeah. And um, if you're a man, you should watch it. And if you're a woman, you should watch it. Right. Yes. Um, if you're a goat, you probably shouldn't watch it. Never. Don't. Um, it'll make it'll get, take you to a really dark place. This movie <laughs> is just it's so powerful. Yeah. And on its surface, it just seems like it's just a skateboarding yeah so that should we do we then. do we want to put a bumper right here because no i i have a thought that before we go into spoilers the more i think about this movie the better it is because of the the world that we live in yeah you know mm-hmm. when i i'm sure when they were making this movie they didn't know about the amount of like outside social implications that would be tied to the film guys like every day i go online and I see more and more how horrible 
people are and how horrible men yeah. are. Okay, and we, the no, toxicity I, of men. I seriously want to bump it right now because when you talked about it, you did not spoil anything, and that made it so okay. much. Okay, that okay, makes great. it so much better. Great. So, so yeah, this movie's on Hulu. Go it's watch a documentary. This movie. It's my it's, number one of the year. Like, it's I can't recommend this. It's movie one of enough. those movies that like you will be astonished by, and you shouldn't research anything about it yeah so let's so let's put the bumper right here go watch it Um, now and come back i have yeah i have kind of a funny story because about halfway through i think is about when the movie transitions maybe a little bit before halfway through it transitions it takes a hard left turn yeah like right when that started happening i was writing down my thoughts and i wrote down one interesting uh little note is that all these characters have abuse in their lives (laughs) (laughs) and then the whole rest of it is just about that yeah and that was such a fucking move Bing Lu is my hero. Yeah. He is unreal in this. He started making this movie when he's 23. He was our, he's our age right now. And he's what, 30 now? He is, I think no, he's like 28. He, yeah. yeah, and he is in the film industry. He does like camera department for some pretty big movies, but he's not a filmmaker until now. Now right. he is a filmmaker. Uh, and the lengths that he is willing to go to to get the answers that he needs on a personal level is so compelling. Like it's not just for the sake of his film. He is going through something extremely personal and he wants to explore that in a film that can apply to millions and millions of people. It's almost like the whole project is just an excuse to have a reckoning with his mother. Yeah. Like he assembled a whole operation, a whole film uh, project just to be able to talk about yeah. the trauma with his which mother. I mean I was watching this uh rewatching it again with Gaia and Gaia actually like found those scenes to be like almost mean like attacking his mother it's it's not that way it almost seems like it is whenever it's first ha- whenever the scene is first starting where he's interviewing his mother and he's like how could you do this if you knew that this was happening it comes across as like really mean but it comes from a sin- place of sincerity just like trying to ask like what was keeping you to this person and this feeling of just not wanting to be alone is something that everyone has that feeling. Like, nobody wants to just be alone. Yeah. So you almost, it's just the Stockholm Syndrome that you build for yourself is just like, well, I mean, I'm going to get my ass kicked by whatever man is in my life. I might as well stick with this one. I mean, you feel so much guilt from that woman. Yeah. You feel like she will do anything to have a moment with her son and to be able to really talk to him. And so spousal abuse is something that happens way more than uh, it gets in media representation. There are ads that are like, oh, don't beat your wife. But it's something that is unbelievably common to this day in America and even more so in a lot of other countries. Um, Parental abuse, however, is something that is still widely accepted by a lot of people in America right now. It is something that's like, yeah, you beat your kids. My parents beat me. I'm going to beat my kids. Like, that's just the way it is. And he explores that in a way that is also haunting uh, and just, like, grotesquely fascinating. Well, I mean, in okay, so I'll say I can't really speak for you guys, but, I mean, I grew up in a household in which I was spanked if I did something wrong. Like, there's just kind of a thing that's just, like, known as just, like, yeah, if your kid's out of line, you just, like, you got you to gotta beat him a little bit. Like, that'll just kind of make him not fuck around again. And... It was only until the last couple years it was really moving out of Tallahassee in which, I mean, you're near South Georgia where that's just kind of the norm. <laughs> yeah. And it was taking until a couple years ago that was just like, oh, that's like 
domestic abuse. Like, that's literally child punishment. But, like, that's just kind of a thing that's just known as the norm. It is, yeah, it is just a thing. Something that society accepts. Yeah, yeah, it is still widely accepted despite there being, you know, just like climate change. There is a scientific consensus at this point that the effects it has long-term on the child are not worth the short-term punishment of it. Um, Like, it can leave... A, a lasting impact which is what this is about it's about why do i why am i still thinking about this that's what bing lu was saying he was like why why can i not get this shit out of my brain and yeah. i mean i think that was what is the most effective thing in this entire movie is the storytelling with zach because zach the first half of the movie you're like i love this guy zach he's super fun yeah he's just he's that friendly burnout that we all know yeah exactly like i know people yeah we know zach that that is that person that's just skates he's cool yeah Yeah, exactly especially whenever you're younger like you're just like man that guy's cool he doesn't give a shit about anything yeah just a guy who like a guy who slayed in high school basically yeah but not past that (laughs) and that's kind of just like seeing where this person's life goes it goes from this whole like uh holding this person up as a figure in society that you look up to to exploring the dark side of this person whenever you find out that he's beating his girlfriend yeah his the mother of his child the, the heel turn is so well done like yeah. it's so slow you and hear about it and you're like yeah but zach wouldn't do that would he and then yeah. like the, he talks about it more uh bing confronts his ex like in the backseat of a car he he's like hey uh do you want me to like explore this in the documentary um she's just like no that will only make things worse yeah We're doing okay right yeah. now yeah exactly she doesn't want to talk about it she, but when she does talk about it it's this extreme close-up mm-hmm. we just boom we cut to her face and it's taking up the whole screen yeah and she's finally able and to you talk can about see it. all of the emotion and weight on her and then when we reach the end of the movie and bing finally confronts zach about this and is just like hey so like tell me and he's just like yeah you know i mean Sure, sometimes she says some stupid shit and you just, you got to hit her. That's just what you have to do. And that moment, well, he I says, just like... What he says is, bitches got to get slapped sometimes. Yeah. yeah. And that's when you're like, this guy's a fucking monster. Yep. Yeah. And that's like, that was just, it just, it made me like, kind of just like put my my face in my hands. Like whenever I saw that, just like... You're like, Zach. And my, it's just the boy. way that it shows... It, just this cyclical nature exactly of it it's about how it is a cycle that's that's the most beautiful thing of this is just like this is something that isn't just going to be stopped like, yeah like it's not just something that's just like somebody's just going to break free on their own this is something that you have to make a conscious effort and know i'm going to be different from my dad and his dad and his dad like i'm going to be a person i'm going to learn from these mistakes of my parents and be a better person yeah that's uh, and so some much, people aren't strong enough to do that. That's so much easier said than done, you know, because we live in a society right now where, like, everything that we see is fighting against that. And yeah. it becomes harder and harder to live your your life in, in, in that way and in such an honest and, like, self-righteous way uh, and, and be able to be better and to be more keen to kindness and to respect yeah. when the world like doesn't continuously doesn't reward that and rewards the people that are fucking terrible yeah. and shitty and not even just rewards but also just on a worldwide basis tolerates these people yeah. like mm-hmm. it, it very easily if bing weren't the person he were he could have heard about this and just been like well it's not my business like yeah. i'm not, not going to stop zach 
like it's not my life or whatever. Yeah. And instead, he decides to make an entire film about and, how Zach sucks. And thank God he did. I mean, yeah. and, and the way that it does is genius because he's not set up as a villain to begin with. He's set up as the cool guy. Yeah. It really feels. I know that he is actually he's about Zach's age whenever he started making this. Um, but it feels almost like he is Kier. It feels like he's the young kid going through Well, he says everything. that to Kier. He's like, I'm, I'm making this movie because I see I myself see... in your story. Yeah, yeah and it's it's beautiful because, I mean, shouts to uh, Kier also as such a compelling I was going to say, the most Kier lovable is, character of the whole year. Kier is like the most, is the MVP of this movie because yeah. he is just, he's so charming and innocent of a way and then this movie because it takes place over the course of a couple of years you see the growth in his character to yeah. the point where he's ready he has his own car he's ready to move out from his parents place mm-hmm. and so it's powerful it's just something you just want to cheer for him and i just and whenever it like had the little scroll at the end telling what everybody's up to and everything it was like here is like he he's being sponsored by the skate shop and everything like i was yeah, just i was so happy for him because it, i just yeah I, it's, I, he's better it was beautiful and it that's Largely, the movie is about how it takes a concerted effort on the individual's part to break the cycle because he was in an abusive cycle family as well. Uh, even the interviews with his mom where she has the boyfriend. Oh, and, God, it's horrible. Yeah, this boyfriend's He's like, in, your five minutes is up. Oh yeah. My the God. abuse is so present in all of these kids' lives because they, you know, they live in a lower income a smaller city which is where this happens on like a not just like a, a common level because it's common everywhere but on like an every single household level um and so yeah we get this juxtaposition of kier who just all it takes is him making the effort of oh i'm not just gonna almost zach is like his cautionary tale i'm not just going to fall back on what's comfortable for me i'm going to get a new crowd i'm going to hang out with these kids who are in college and doing things uh and even uh, on Bing's part, Bing straight confronts Zach at like a party and says, well, if if like the cycle thing is true and if that's why how you like why you are how you are, then why am I how I am? I was in the same type of thing. And Zach is just like, I mean, shit. Yeah, he doesn't really have a response to it. <laughs> yeah, that's I mean, my favorite part about this that's... whole thing is Bing just going aggro, not in an aggressive way, because these people still all agreed to be filmed. It was right. never in a way of like, hey, turn the fucking camera off. It was just in a way of, hey, I. I want to ask you this question that is extremely difficult, but it's necessary. So um, one thing that I wanted to, uh, two things. Uh, one of them was, uh, I don't know if you guys listened to it. It just came out a couple days ago, but um, Sean Fantasy did an interview with Bing Lou. I have not And he's been, he talked about it. He was just like, I was waiting to do this because this is my favorite movie of last year. And I didn't want to like ruin the mythology behind this movie while <laughs> watching this. But um. He kind of Bing talks about how he's able to kind of get so much out of these characters. Like there are, there is a lot of stuff that uh, they weren't able to film. Like Kier apparently had like love lives with all these different, like different ladies in oh, his life. Yeah. But you know he didn't. He just was like, no, nah, I don't, I don't want to film any of that. I don't want you guys to see any of this. Good there's, for, there's, good there's, for Kier. I, there's some key they, moments that kind of like uh, tee off the fact that like. Bing has almost invented a new form of documentary filmmaking that because like there's there's this one moment where I think it's Zach where he's like so are, are, am I acknowledging the camera am I talking to you or am I talking to the camera am yeah. I acknowledging that which you're kind here? of which kind of interviewing are we doing yeah and he, he, they leave that in the movie and yeah. they it gives you insight into like exactly how transparent the camera was in all of their interactions yeah like he's yeah. able Bing is able to get so much 
unfiltered access to his characters that it completely throws out the playbook as to what a documentary movie should Weirdly be. Weirdly enough, I feel like the closest documentary style filmmaking that you can compare it to is Michael Moore. Because mm-hmm. it's that kind of um, interrogative form of uh, documentary style filmmaking where he's constantly kind of pushing the envelope, but at the same time, he lets he lets it breathe. He doesn't ask just kind of simple questions. He just lets the characters talk about their lives. Yeah, and yeah. I just want to say, I mean, the direction, the editing of this movie oh, is just yeah. so phenomenal <laughs> for first time yeah. film. Just something the like montage, we get the, montage. Well, oh. not just the skating because I want to talk about that specifically, but even just certain things like we'll see a billboard of just like every person needs a dad and then it'll cut to Kier talking about the last time he talked to his father oh before he God. died. It's, it's just stuff like that. It's like, perfect editing like yeah. literally perfect that that's what i i wanted to mention that as well because with the our story our raw story we have here is very compelling uh and Bing, you know as a documentarian deserves all the credit in the world for going out and making this story happen uh but every choice aside from that every choice done with the camera or with the cuts or the editing or what to show when or the just the developments like how uh things are kept from us is Perfect. Flawless. It's, it's a flawless documentary, in my opinion. Yeah, I, This could be my number one in a second. That's like why I just like I just keep kind of thinking about it, and I don't have a single thing that would change about this. The skateboarding shots that they have, I've never seen that fluid of movement while skateboarding. And it's, you can tell it's because he was a person who literally shot skate videos from the time he was 13, just like, and he got his own camera. And he was running sometimes. Just, yeah, just like sprinting alongside of yeah. them. And it's still like a steady camera. Like, I just don't know how he did this. As somebody who's about our age, this kind of masterful use of the camera, it's its really, it almost brings out a little bit of jealousy in me. And just watching this, I'm like, how the fuck? How did yeah. this guy do this? Yeah. Like he has no like experienced training or anything. He went to school for as like a literature literature oh, wow. major, and then yeah. started to kind of get a job doing things here and there, working with camera departments, and then just wanted to make. He made a couple short docs, but he wanted to make this kind of story about people escaping through skateboarding. Right. Um, That's the whole. Theme just kind here. of yeah. kept falling back into his hometown in Rockford mm-hmm. to bring out the story. It, yeah, it's it's unbelievable. Uh, I, I don't know how he did it. Like I I can't even answer that question. It is as for a first time film, uh, it's one of the best debuts I've seen ever. It's yeah. like top five debuts of all time. I hope it gets the Oscar. I don't know if it will. Like because between Won't You Be My Neighbor and Free Solo, it's got its work cut out for it. I but. think that this I I really have a strong feeling that this will win best doc. That'd be great. It's almost like it's kind of a Spider Verse thing where like I feel like this is beyond just a best documentary. I don't think a documentary has ever been nominated for best picture. But I think that this is this is deserving of that. I haven't actually uh, seen all of Hoop Dreams, but um, this gave me a lot of vibes to Hoop Dreams. Uh, just from what I know about it, it's people that go to basketball as a sort of escape from their own lives. Yeah. which you can tell this is something that uh, a source material they definitely drew off of in making this. Right. Another another quick thing I wanted to mention is the the moment where Bing is actually like talking to his mother. I thought it was genius that like they chose to shoot it from like this outside perspective where you see the boom mic and you see the lights. Yeah. I wanted to, I wanted to talk about that too. Cause it's, it's like a visionary choice. Yeah. It's like, it's like, and it's in the middle of him having the most important conversation maybe he's ever had. Mm -hmm. 
and he he made the right camera choice. He's hiding behind a camera yeah. and a microphone. You see and the, the light. light, and she like can't even. She can only see his eyes. Like yeah, you can. Comment. She's like, oh, I can see your eyes. Yeah, you can see the facade. You can see like how he has shaped his whole persona around hiding behind a camera because of what happened to him. And yeah. it's like it's the movie encapsulated almost in a shot. It's right. just it's a de- it's almost like that scene itself is a deconstruction of documentary filmmaking because this is such a personal thing for him that he is no longer the person behind the camera. He like forces himself to be on camera for you to see. Yeah. Well, him he realizes I mean, I I remember I I uh, heard an interview with him where he was saying that there was a cut of the movie that his whole part was not in it. Like he had a full cut that it was just Kier and Zach and his fellow filmmakers, his fellow producers. They were like, dude, you have to put yourself in the movie. That's what it's about. I, uh, like yeah. you are a key part of the story. You tie it all together. I'll be I would be sad if I didn't bring it up about just another whole facet of this movie is race um, yeah. with Kier. Mm-hmm. Um, we just have a couple. There's two distinct scenes with white people where Kier kind of talks about his dad always telling him like be proud that you are black like if you can go over and do it again be black because then whenever other like white people will complain about this kind of stuff it's going to seem frivolous to you because you are a black person like we have this whole um scene where they're at a campfire with a bunch of white people and one of them showing a video of just this dude just saying the n-word over and over again all these white people laughing and then we have a scene where they're in a bedroom together and this dude talking about this one guy shout out to him he's wearing a foxing t-shirt but he uh he's saying things just like yeah you know i mean i don't really i mean we're also prejudiced against like white people like if you're from the lower class like i'm just trailer trash like i have the same problems in life as any other black person and everything else like that and it's just like you can just see this look on Kier's face that he's just like you you like really don't understand and you never will understand. That's also a testament to just being just having the camera on yeah, Yeah. these random moments and he's just like well he just just captures these kind of things and it's not blown out to be a big deal or anything Um, it's just there. Two quick Kier moments that I wanted to shout out the moment where he tells Bing that doing the documentary is like a form of therapy. Yeah. I thought that was really insightful. Mm. And the moment where Kier is looking for his father's tomb in the mm. graveyard and he and can't, he can't find, find it. it. I was so heartbreaking. I like, was ugh. in disbelief. I was so distraught. Um, I was like, wow, this is a, this is real. This is not a narrative. This is not fiction. This is a real yeah. guy. Kier uh, wins the award for uh, best sad smile. Yeah. yeah, he 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 smiled through saying the darkest shit, mm-hmm. and you can see it in his eyes. But his his smile is so charismatic and so wide. Yeah, it's, it's you couldn't find better actors. Like it's so good. All right, let's let's talk about it. Let's let's get to our number one. Uh, at least me and Drew. In my eighth number grade, four. I, eighth grade is a perfect movie. It, it's it's a reinvention of the coming of age story, uh, mixed in with a slice of life story in the perfect distillation of like what it feels like to feel anxiety and i've never seen anything like it and bo burnham uh just he created a new type of movie that didn't exist before i mean the closest thing that we had to this was like the john hughes movies and the way they kind of represented youth and teenagers in this very kind of like uh you know uh, more, more, it's more naturalistic, of a, it's more of an, grimy way. Yeah, but it's more of an aspiring kind of view. It's more yeah. hopeful. But than this, this is this is a whole nother story. Yeah, this is yeah. Um, this is one of those movies. Uh, some people aren't gonna like it, and I think that's perfectly fine because it can be a a shock. 
to to watch because of this the smallness of the story. Yeah, it's a tiny, teeny story. But you're so invested. I know, in it. I know. But some people, their their expectations of movies are so blown out. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But they are just they're used to movies yeah. where big events happen, and right. that's how the story is told. This is not that movie. If you don't like it, I understand on that basis. However, uh, I agree. For me, this movie was perfect. Uh, it made me re-examine my own life, my own childhood, my own feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up an extremely anxious child, like, and I still, I still deal with those emotions. We all do on a day-to-day basis. The world is very that's uh, what scary. Makes, that's what makes <laughs> this movie so good is that you relate to a little a uh, girl, a thirteen-year-old yeah. girl, perfectly. Yeah, you understand exactly what she feels. Yeah, like. and the movie itself, uh, it's beautifully directed, beautifully shot, uh, funny, tragic. It takes its time. Uh, with every single scene, nothing is rushed. The pacing is so. Uh, I have I had a couple people tell me it drags, and I couldn't disagree more. Personally, I th- I thought that every scene was about perfect length. Mm-hmm. I was never bored. Um, and There's great music. Yeah. yeah, the the yeah the, the score sc- is awesome. The score is great. It can be hilarious at times. Like when actually, my award for best nipple goes to Aiden. Yeah, yeah no, I was gonna say yeah. <laughs> Aiden is just oof. Um, what a hunk! He's yeah. the ultimate middle school hunk. Like yeah. everything about him is just like yeah, this guy would have slayed in like seventh eighth grade. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's a distillation of our time without beating you over the head in any way. Uh, it's it you know it defines the generation. Uh, not that I'm a part of the specific generation, but I, you know, we we had technology in our lives from a young age, not to this extent. Uh, well, it shows us what it's like for the younger generation, exactly, and it's yeah, mm-hmm. it shows us the downsides of it, and you know, I guess some upsides, but mostly well, the downsides. I don't, I don't think Bo is trying to like make a statement either. He's just trying to show like, hey, to these kids. Uh, social media is just part of their yeah. life. Like so it's completely. They have that ingrained. whole scene of just like, what you? How old were you whenever you got Snapchat and stuff like yeah. that? Like that's just a thing. I was never. I wasn't on the podcast whenever you guys actually discussed right. this the first time. So, oh. um, yeah, this this movie, like I've now seen it twice. I'm glad that I rewatched it again because upon rewatch, I really sympathize with the dad character a lot. Oh like, yeah, even more so than I did the first Josh time, Hamilton. just because Josh Hamilton is really great as just like he feels like a dad like he's just trying to find this way to relate to his uh adolescent daughter and show him show her that she's caring for him but she is just this pent-up ball of anxiety i mean something that elsie fisher's character says kayla at one point in the movie is something that i have personally felt before when you have these anxiety attacks where she says um that her life it just feels like that feeling that you get before you go on a roller coaster just waiting in line and there's never the feeling of getting off of the yeah, roller coaster exactly. there's never the feeling where the butterflies go away yeah and that is just something that it i've never heard a better description for what anxiety is than that feeling of just yeah. like it's it's not like it's not even a sense of dread or anything it's just this sense of like just tension that you have inside of you Never that you can't shake no matter what you try and do either you try to do what is quote unquote uncomfortable if you try and do what is comfortable it's still always there it's something that you always have to deal with um yes. this movie really it, it this movie really it's it's like you said about mind the gap this movie could be my number one like these movies are all kind of based on my mood for that day <laughs> yeah and 
it's just it's such a touching story. Yeah, um, it's heartfelt. It it understands its characters so well. Uh, and Bo wrote this. You know, he was never an eighth grade girl, but it's called you know empathetic. And he was writing. never a dad. Either. Yeah, it's called yeah, yeah, it's called research combined with empathy. And also he actually took to heart because this is the first movie he made whenever like he listened to people to his cast he listened to his younger people whenever like originally it had them messaging each other on facebook and they're like nobody nope. uses facebook instagram. kids don't use facebook we dm each other on instagram and yeah like, that's K- just... kayla or um what's her actual name elsie fisher. fisher she was like essentially a producer of the movie yeah, yeah. Um, breakout performance of the year by her by far yeah like... and just like a, a beautiful performance the the writing i i cannot circle back to enough because it is like my favorite type of writing this is my favorite horror movie of <laughs> you like honestly <laughs> it yeah, really that, is like that backseat scene oh is my god like it just i watch it i even i thought that it wouldn't be as bad watching it a second time and you still just watch it it lasts it feels like that is 20 minutes it's long torturous and yeah. it's like it's five minutes or less like it's so short but i've never like we all love Nathan for you here, and I've never cringed so hard. In no, my life. never it's, ever. It's while beyond that. cringe. Like yeah. you're, you're. It's genuinely, upsetting because you don't know what's going to happen. You're, you're generally like, worried this? for this girl's safety. Yeah, I was terrified. Uh, and yeah, it, the way it is written is so slow to develop that scene, which is, and it's developed in a way that like I haven't. Obviously, I've never like. Uh, been like victimized like that because this movie in addition to being about adolescence is about the female adolescence Mm -hmm. but it romantic situations when you're that young feel like that they feel like they will never end because they're scary (laughs) (laughs) unless you're you know a fucking chad off the bat like aiden yeah but (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah just the feeling of like i don't really know what to do here uh you don't really know what to do here uh you know we're figuring it out oh no that went really wrong that could not have gone more wrong um and the and Bo's not afraid to like really test the audience's threshold for what is acceptable for, in that type of scene. Yeah. He's like I'm going to go for it because this shit is it it calls for it, you know? And it's not I don't think that scene is 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 about like being realistic it's more about just putting you in kayla's perspective and showing you like how she must be feeling yeah Mm -hmm. and And, that's what this movie captures even more so than just making it a like fly in the wall slice of life kind of filmmaking yeah it's putting you in her shoes at all times and and conveying like her moments of joy and her moments of of worrying and and it just tiny little things like when she sings karaoke at the party after the whole swimsuit pool fiasco like you're like wow she honestly doesn't you're care proud what of anyone her. thinks right yeah, now. Yeah, you're like you're proud of her. Like it's yeah. It's kind of amazing that they have this that this movie creates that feeling. Um couple of quick shout outs. The campfire or the campfire yeah. fire scene that they have with her and Time her father capsule. is so beautiful and so touching. And like I watched it a second time and I still teared up while watching it because it's something that I mean, it really is just a testament to how good both of their performances are, Elsie Fisher and um, Josh, Hamilton. Josh Hamilton. And she ends up he, consoling him. Yeah, that he. it starts out as this thing that he, she's just like, I'm worried, like, do you like me? Like, are you, do you really, like, love me? Because I know I can just be, like, a pain in the ass. And he's just like, I'm so proud of you. And, like, I just think that you're so cool. And it's not in any kind of a narcissistic kind of a way. It's so genuine 
that you really you feel his pain as a father who just as a single parent that just wants to show his daughter that he does love her even if yeah he can just be like this weird nerdy dad like this lame dad figure yeah and and also that scene is great because that is actually the only external resolution to any conflict in the movie mm-hmm. there and the rest of the resolution is internal it's all in uh kayla's mind because nothing changes in terms of her trying to do things and failing she confronts the bully and the bullies are completely unaffected everyone around her is like that was weird but she (laughs) feels better yeah Yeah. so it doesn't and that's all that matters and that is the exact uh flip of any other teen movie i've ever seen where Where, like she stands up to the bully and people start applauding they're like yeah you did it which i hate to bring up max keeble's big move but (laughs) that is the end that's that's i think that's what makes this my number one movie of the year is that you have this journey of this girl trying to look for her self-confidence and the whole like the the thing that that carries throughout her little youtube videos the whole love yourself accept yourself be yourself theme she starts out not living that and by the end of the movie she is fully i don't know if 100 percent there but you get the sense that like she has grown and that she is finally truly on the path to loving herself yeah. and accepting she her accepts herself a lot more and she is not cool at the end of the movie no and i was gonna say my mvp of this movie goes to gabe MVP, my boy jake mvp Ryan. of the year Hell yeah yes I, i'm so glad you remembered gabe, I re- gabe okay so <laughs> i as a kid i i mean i was somebody who i suffered from extreme anxiety i still feel that way but sometimes my way of uh kind of pushing through anxiety it was just kind of just doing as much weird shit as possible and kind of being out there to the point because it just kind of made me feel like oh well I mean if I just do this then people won't be able to see what I'm really feeling inside if I kind of act like I'm not anxious right now and so I really sympathize with Gabe and Gabe is just kind of put in there as this like humorous plot plot point but the end scene that we have the final scene of the movie of him these this like eighth grade date kind yeah. of it's, like a, <laughs> you it's see? like a little bit more than a play date that's it's each of them with 10 nuggets and a rainbow of mcdonald's sauces yeah, yeah. it's it's beautiful um, it's so cool and it's so awkward them like talking back and forth they start doing rick and this morty narrative bits. that they just kind of rely on doing rick and morty bits because that's that's how you talk to each other whenever before you actually like know how to really start a relationship with somebody you just talk about similar interests. I mean, shit, we do that in our day-to-day lives. If it's somebody who it's like, I don't really know this person, they'll always be like, oh, yeah, are you a fan of this thing? And then just start talking about that. Sports. It, it, <laughs> that's how it mostly goes, especially with coworkers. Especially as a guy. That's just like, like, hey, man, do you see Biggie, Boogie Cousins return? Yeah, yeah like, oh, hey, how's, how's your wife? Is she doing okay with the cancer <laughs> you know like and you're like yes yeah, i want to i want to tie it back to minding the gap real quick because uh you know talking about this 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 world of like um toxic masculinity that we live in and, and reckoning with that i think we should all be more like gabe i think all men should be literally and figuratively asking women if they want their chicken nuggets to be warmed up in the microwave if, in case they've gotten cold. Or yeah. offering to uh, share one of his uh, sauces if he prefers a certain sauce. Yeah. Because not, he likes all sauces equally. It's not a grand gesture, but it's enough to show that you're an ally and that you're not that you're not there to hurt them. That Gabe you're there would to take never care hurt anyone. Gabe would never hurt like a cockroach. I hope not. <laughs> he is just he's one of the most pure souls that we have. Yeah. He, he and he also 
he wins my award for big dick of the year. Yeah. <laughs> you know that kid's got a hog. Oh, I mean, yeah. you can see it in the pool. The pants get a little bit tight. <laughs> okay. I, f- I freeze for him. <laughs> um, We're going to cut that out. Yeah. <laughs> okay, all right. um, we had this woke conversation, and then I make it's one just, joke. It's, it's no, my... I'm not hosting the Oscars anymore. <laughs> this It's one of my... Uh, this is, you know, personal, not in terms of like empirical anything, but it's one of my top five movies I've ever seen in my life um, because it, it, I felt like seen and also I felt a connection to people that I have never seen that or that I've never like connected with. I've never just like chilled with an eighth grade girl. Yeah. <laughs> I swear. <laughs> um you know what I mean? Like, it, yeah, I don't it, know why this movie isn't getting more love. Like, I thought whenever this came out, this was gonna be a movie that became a bigger Starling, deal, yeah. a bigger deal deal than I mean, it is. It is made by a twenty-something guy. I'm sure plenty of older heads are not big fans of that. And it also is a a very small contained movie, which some people just don't connect with some people just expect certain things out of a movie and they didn't get it out but of i mean that what's sad about that is that this is the best kind of storytelling in that it is such a small uh story that can be applied in a grand scale that's what the best filmmaking does it in my feels opinion grand is that it's yeah, something it feels that huge it, yeah. it's something that it puts you in that perspective where eighth grade feels like this never-ending cycle of dread and that yeah. you are you are stuck there and you don't think there's ever going to be an end to this you feel like this is everything that happens in your life is the biggest possible deal because you haven't had the experience but then to, for compared to anything but then it ends and you feel like she's ready for high school like she's you know maybe she's you do not... but she's still gonna have exactly. her hiccups along the way and that's yeah. that's the whole that's part of it yeah that's that's life that's why i think that this is such an amazing like coming of age type of movie is because it doesn't just end with her knowing the secrets of high school or anything she has this video that she makes herself and she's like do you have a boyfriend if not it doesn't really matter if you don't have friends now that doesn't matter because yeah. you'll make friends in college or at some point in your life like it's just kind of a thing where it's like life is gonna go on i this wish i had kayla when i was in eighth grade Mm. I wish I would have. I love that this movie, like, it doesn't. There's never, nothing ever glamorizing about this movie. Like, Elsie Fisher gives an amazing performance, but, like, we have. Like, you compare. Um, we're talking about the laptop screen on Ethan Hawke's face where you can see all the wrinkles. There's, mm. like, the scenes of the darkness where you just see her phone illuminating her face. Illuminating her just, acne. Yeah. And, <laughs> well, it's like. A whole, it's a whole uh, montage where you just see, like, Tumblr scrolling. Oh, that was like... so good. The slime <laughs> video and all kinds of other stuff. But, I mean, and, like, just kind of stuff that kids have to deal with on a daily life like she puts on all of her makeup and everything and then lays back in bed to just be like just woke up like this like that's something that kids do because they're so we have this literal chemical dependence on our phones nowadays that like people like it's it's this high that you get um it was actually in the aaron sorkin um uh, interview they did with Bill Simmons where he talks about like now we have this chemical dependence to the point that when gamblers are addicted to something it's not when gamblers don't get a gambling addiction from winning they get that feeling from when the roulette wheel starts to spin around that's yeah. when the dopamine rises. yeah it's from thinking you're gonna so win and then the we, ping win or lose you felt something good so and that's what we get now every time that we reach in our pockets for our phones we get a little bit of that rush. yeah we just get like oh there might it's, be something here yeah we get that feeling maybe i got a new follower maybe i got a new text from somebody yeah. it's literally something that's ingrained in us and i think that this is a movie that most beautifully uh, visualizes that. Yeah, I think it does a better job of 
uh, displaying our modern dependence on technology than Black Mirror does. Yeah, uh, because Black Mirror can be corny as fuck, and it does. <laughs> and Black Mirror tries to like uh, first make a statement of it, yeah. and second, like turn it into like this big, uh, upsetting you know horror story. Mm-hmm. And even though eighth grade at times teeters on that, it never becomes preachy, and it never tries to like tell you that. It, it, Bo's never trying to make a statement. He's just the the whole technology, social media aspect of the story is just an aspect of Kayla's life. It's not this big deal, you know. Yeah. It's just part of the tapestry. That being said, Bandersnatch is my number one. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Well, I mean, if you if you would have clicked ahead three clicks earlier, whatever we got to spoilers, you would get it's a choose your own adventure yeah. podcast. Only the number one is only the one where you. Take the acid, but then jump off the. Uh, I the... never saw it, so I don't know what you're talking about. All right, well, <laughs> that's our list. Uh, we are over two hours now, Uh-oh. so we throwback. I don't think we have time to really, really dive into things. We'll probably um, next week. I think we'll have a little catch-up corner to dive into a couple yeah, more things. I Let's... did just want to say one thing. I have to give because we didn't talk. I thought that one of us might recognize on this podcast, but if BL Street could talk. Um, beautiful film beautiful movie I wanted to give a shout out I mean I talked about a little bit uh, last week but Nicholas Bertel's score is I I compared it to Ryuichi uh, Sakamoto's uh, his kind of music and everything I just think that it is so truly beautiful of a score. It's, it's really is the best of the year. Um, there's a number of movies that we didn't actually. Yeah, get to I'm gonna. On top I'm just 10. gonna. Are there quick honorable mentions that you guys want to mention? Yeah, really. I'm just gonna go through a few that are were really close. I I wish they could have made it. Blind spotting. I saw blind, blind spotting. spotting. Yes, we all loved blind spotting. I, I saw it. Yeah, I saw it two nights ago, and it really took me. It, it really blew me away uh, because the trailer didn't do it justice. I don't think. Uh, I kind of rolled my eyes at the trailer. the trailer. The movie itself. It's about ninety minutes. Gets you in, gets you out, tells a very compelling story. And a lot of people have complained about the type of storytelling because they use rap in very um, dramatic moments. And I just thought that that escalated well, the movie to another level. Uh, I never found it corny. In particular, the the end scene, a uh, little bit of spoiler alert. I think that that scene exists uh, because that guy was in Hamilton. And they, they were like, oh shit, we have the Hamilton guy. We got to have a, a big rap. Well, <laughs> he wrote the movie. Him, it, the two main actors are the two writers oh, of David the movie. Uh, what? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So Did that's all. That. That's all them. That's putting, beautiful. Putting everything on the table. It just yeah. It has a very uh, complex, interesting look at race uh, and in terms, you know, black and white, uh, the struggles that you can go through when you feel uh, out of place. Um, it, I just thought it was an all-around, it, it, very fun yet dark. Yeah, movie. Like, it's it's humorous, but it, it's not afraid to get yeah, like really really dramatic. Very stylized too. Uh, yeah, directing oh, yeah, yeah. wise, very. It it gave snappy. me some Edgar Wright vibes. Yeah, for it, sure. yeah, Edgar. yeah. The the flashback. Yeah, the fight. That's so. Edgar <laughs> it's Wright. very yeah. Edgar Wright. Somebody else telling the story and everything. Yeah. And you get another person's perspective. Yeah. <laughs> and it's much it's, more dramatic. Um, it's basically like Ant Man, like the Michael Pena Ant Man. Yeah. yeah. Uh, speaking of Edgar Wright, I wanted to shout out Game Night. Um, Game Night yeah. is great. Yeah. I, it's that... my number I, thirteen. Uh, I saw it with I, again with my family, and it was just a huge hit with everybody, like across the board. It's just an insanely fun, movie. well made. Again, shorter movie, uh, very snappy directing. Uh, more Edgar Wright than Edgar Wright is at this point. <laughs> like, um, like shouts out to uh, Sweets from Bones. Who directed it? John Francis Daly. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just it's very very funny. Like not every joke landed for me, um, but 
I did exactly what it wanted to do. And by the end of it, I was laughing very hard and I was compelled yeah. by the story. I remember being really into the, that movie yeah. in the theater. This, I, I this movie, it, it just, it's a movie that just worked. Like yeah. it, it came out of nowhere. No one was like, oh, dude, Game Night? It was the ultimate like word of mouth style movie. Yeah, it really, I think it ended up doing decent for itself. But yeah. I, I, I would recommend it to pretty much anybody. Yeah, Rachel no, McAdams. Jason Bateman, all, they all do a great yeah, job. Great cast. Kyle, Kyle Chandler. Great cast, yeah, Kyle Chandler. Uh, good script, amazing directing, fun movie. Fat Damon in there. Oh my, he's um, the best. I wanted to also, uh, I have Black Klansman in my top 15. I don't know if you guys have it that high or anything, but I loved this movie seeing it. I think that Spike Lee really, I mean, Spike Lee is back, like doing his thing. And I think this is a very effective movie. The writer I saw. Um, wait, wait, wait. Black Klansman gets my gut punch award. Yeah. For that oh, ending. man. That ending is people a lot. Of time, a lot of people are complaining about the ending, saying that's not really earned and everything. I think it's completely earned. And that's yeah. it's Spike Lee slapping you around a little bit and being like, hey, yeah. fuck you. <laughs> Pay attention. Um, the writer, I think, is an extremely touching movie. I watched that after um, Lean on Pete, expecting like kind of a similar story about a person and everything out the small story of a guy who goes on a journey with a horse and it's not that at all um so that's a story about really just about like kind of the cowboy lifestyle and the like fact that people can die or get like to the point where they're like mentally retarded based on wow. like horrible accidents of rodeoing and stuff and like that. And it's all non-actors right? Yeah it's all it's people who are basically telling their lives it's in a little bit more dramatic uh tone but they're taking people who actually experience these um, things um uh, a couple more I just wanted to shout out. Um, I wanted to give uh, the He's Still Doing His Thing award to The Old Man, The Gun. Robert Redford. Oh, I didn't see that movie. This must be his last performance. I watched it on a plane. Nice. Um, shout out to- uh, It's David Lowry. Shout out to JetBlue. Yeah, it's really good. Like I yeah. was kind of surprised that this may be- a, like, Robert Redford isn't getting buzzed for what could be a swan song performance because mm. he is- delightfully charming in this movie um uh, yeah so three movies uh that get the same award for me which is like didn't leave a lasting impact but i had a, a really good time watching them um because they're not gonna make the list but i would recommend these movies to anybody as well uh a quiet place very great movie up up the middle well executed great uh, theatrical experience yeah great yeah mm -hmm. exactly it was yeah. so fun in the theater uh you know any mainstream audience would enjoy it i think it was a huge hit obviously uh incredibles 2 i yeah i enjoyed the shit out of incredibles 2 it, it was it was n not flawless uh there were issues with the movie definitely but uh the comedy really hit for me it was very i think it was maybe funnier than the first one uh, and it it looked great, obviously. Brad Bird just did a great job. All Incredibles around. 2 gets my Straggler Award for the best <laughs> movie furthest from my top 10. Yeah. I have it at number 20. Exactly. Yeah, I have uh, it. Yeah, I have it at 25. I have it so like, low, but I'm thinking about it. I'm good. like, I when I watched it, I was like, this is great. Yeah. Uh, it was a lot of fun. The last one is Searching. Um, Searching, that's my yeah. biggest surprise. I Yeah, exactly. It came out of nowhere. Again, uh, I just truly, thoroughly enjoyed the movie. It You know, again, it was not a perfect movie. Uh, but I think a experimental more experimental format. Yeah, it was, and the format was experimental. The story was uh, pretty straightforward, uh, so the the comparison was interesting there. But it was it was just very satisfying to watch. It was very well executed, and it's just fun. You know, it's like I said when we reviewed it. It's really something satisfying about watching someone who's good at using the internet use right. the internet. 
just like watching someone who's good at anything do anything. Yeah. And he's just... It was, it's a very smart movie where it's like any other movie, it'd just be like waiting around like, well, why hasn't this guy done this yet? And this movie, it's very aware of yeah. what it's and doing. And it was a good mystery. Like, the it really, you know, it, it had you going. My yeah. award for best movie farthest from my top 10 is Isle of Dogs. Yeah. I think Isle of Dogs is an amazing movie. I have it at 23. That gets, and I'm my, like, that's... That gets my craftsmanship award. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. it's amazing. The, the movie. diorama award. Yeah. It, also, it movie, looked unbelievable. Movie like, I watched longest ago and feel like it should be higher on my list is Love Simon. I was a champion of this movie whenever it first came out. I still haven't out. seen it. It's on HBO. It is an amazing movie and it never really got uh, um, the credit that it deserved. What about biggest disappointments for you guys? I well, have three. Really quick, my I Hate That I Love You award goes to Infinity War. Oh Cause, yeah, because I hate that. I, gets my oh snap award. <laughs> <laughs> You're getting a little sassy, Ooh, aren't you? I like it. It just like I was watching it and I was like, God damn it, I like this. Why? God damn it, I don't want to like yeah. this. It, it's a movie that should fail. In yeah, every aspect, I just rewatched it because it it's on Netflix. It's fucking awesome. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> I know. I was just like, man, why did they? Why they have to make it good? My my most disappointing is actually Deadpool two. That's actually okay. So I have uh, it's a tie for three for me. Um, one I shouldn't have expected anything anyways, but Pacific Rim Uprising, which <laughs> yeah, I think is one of the I'm worst movies of the year. <laughs> um, and then my main top two is Vice and Deadpool two. Deadpool two I think is a movie that actively makes the first Deadpool worse. Yeah. <laughs> it, they found a way to make a sequel that's so bad. And yes, Deadpool 2 is bad yeah. that it makes the whole character of Deadpool, it, it makes me hate and him. And they kind of wasted Rob Delaney, too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Delaney had the best bit in that entire movie, and then he was Well, just let's gone. save Vice for next week. I want to get more um, in-depth okay, on that. Okay, I was really disappointed by Christopher Robin. Not that I was expecting to love it, but I, re- I truly disliked it. I um, think Christopher Robin. Wait, can I Robin... amend my list? Can I make that my number one? <laughs> I don't care. I'll be a champion of Christopher Robin. Damn it. Um, I won't be a champion of it. But yeah. I think that Christopher Robin had a lot to like in it. Um, and it also had a lot to hate. Yeah, I think it had the most like polarizing like from scene to scene. I didn't know how I well, was going to feel. I, I, my problem with it is that all the things that were there to like were baked into it a hundred years ago and everything that a new director brought in and a new writer i thought sucked uh same problem i had uh with bohemian rhapsody it everything good was the thing that they bought when they bought the property and everything bad was everything they added well i i would i would take that a step further because i i think that bohemian rhapsody like borderline shits on freddie mercury and queen yeah well yeah that's the thing is like queen i have such a personal connection with that i was really bothered i i it's not like i was i'm like bro wait don't fuck with poo dude yeah (laughs) that's fucked up audiences love bohemian rhapsody though so obviously the mainstream doesn't what uh what are y'all's uh worst movies of the year i'm curious we haven't uh, we should say Predator we haven't far. watched we haven't watched like slender man no. and some of these other horrible movies it's the fucking predator it's the predator yeah it was extremely bad wrinkle in <laughs> I, time was extremely bad but i make think the predator is worse because wrinkle in time you can just kind of cast it off as yeah it's a kid's movie and so like Pine whatever is in it Chris, but, is Chris Pine in The Predator? Didn't think no. so. Instead, Check we have me. we have Atheist. freaking Keegan Michael Key, who's probably just every day calling up, yeah. leaving voicemails for Jordan Peele, just like, "Hey, so um, you want to come back, dude?" <laughs> so I was thinking about like, what if we change it to Peele and Key? Was <laughs> yeah. that entice you more? <laughs> I was thinking about making like a dramatic turn. I don't know. Um, <laughs> this movie sucked so much. I hated The Predator. It, that actually is probably one of my biggest disappointments of the year. Not like I had high expectations for it, but. Whenever I saw Shane Black, I was like, there's a chance. Um, hey, worst movie I loved, Mamma Mia 2. <laughs> to Mamma to Mia. That's fair. Uh, uh, two movies that I, 
they are truly like I can't just say that they were bad, but I also don't want to call them good. Uh, Ready Player One, I I can't call it good. Uh, it was truly, you know, it it just struck me as just very like synthesized. Um, it was well directed, and I thought the story was trimmed down in ways that I think really like permanently damaged it. Uh, and then the other one is Creed Two, which was like yeah. ostensibly it was done well, but it really left no impact on me yeah. whatsoever. I um, I will stand by Ready Player One. I'll know, be the I only person. <laughs> I actually I rewatched it this week, um, just because uh, one of our friends BJ is staying over at our house for a few days, mm. or for a couple weeks, and uh, <laughs> or he lives there now. I don't I don't even live there anymore. Um, I'm getting cucked, guys. But uh, <laughs> he just like was like looking through my Blu-rays and I was like, oh yeah, Ready Player One. This looked kind of cool. And so I sat down and watched that movie. That movie has some awesome moments in it. Like it's not a great movie by any means, but it's just a blast. And I think that there's there's a place for that in movies that just to have a fun time. I think that the Shining sequence that's in that movie is one of the best sequences in any movie this year. Like it was, it's it's so it's definitely visually, fun. It is vin- visually stunning. Honestly, okay. Two quick awards. The what the fuck award goes to Sorry to Bother You. Uh, and the missed opportunity award goes to bad times at the El Royale. Yeah, okay, I agree with the bad times. I'd give a sorry to bother you. The movie that has uh, sat with me the worst. It was a movie that I saw and I really loved it. And then I kind of the more and more that I thought about it, kind of started to pick it apart. And then Black Klansman came out, which basically did a lot of the things from Sorry to Bother You, yeah. except better. Mm-hmm. And so that movie is mm. kind of gone lower. Well, and lower yeah, the movie. See, the movie that changed my opinion on it. Uh, was blind spotting actually? Yes. Yeah, blind spotting too. Yeah, yeah. Well, because sorry to bother you is trying to do like twenty five things. Blind spotting is trying to do one thing fifteen different ways. And it's well, and it's it's it was just well directed, and yeah. there's really a lot of value in that. Despite you know the aesthetic not being everything, like some there was some sloppy shit. And sorry to bother you, yeah. it, I still would put it above a lot of movies I saw this year just out of sheer ambition yeah, alone. Yeah, like where so that ambitious. movie goes. It just but, like holy yeah, fuck. but maybe if you don't have the money for good-looking uh, horse person costumes, just don't even put them in the movie because they look so bad. Um, most overrated, actually, I don't even know if I should call this most overrated because it's still a tiny movie. Mandy, yeah, it's, it, it's showing up overrated. Of, yeah, it's showing Whoa. up on a lot of lists. It's showing um, up in like top ten, maybe letterboxed overrated. Like yeah, yeah, like cinephile, well, I mean, like cinephile David overrated. Ehrlich put this in his top ten. Like I've seen mm. a few critics that I appreciate that put this really high, and I'm like, ah, there was, yeah. it was, it was interesting. Um, um, worst movie that I loved. Um, <laughs> there's two of them here. I have Goosebumps two, which. I really enjoyed Goosebumps 2, Haunted Halloween. I thought that was a really fun kids movie. And this one, uh, you guys might scoff at, but it is Unfriended Dark Web. Uh, no, I thought, I, you were really... gonna, I thought you were going to say Halloween. Okay. Well, the thing <laughs> Halloween, is, I stand yeah, by he, The thing is, he wouldn't call that a bad movie at all. I don't think Halloween is a bad movie. Um, I think that Halloween has some kind of corny aspects on it. It puts down podcasters and makes us all look bad. But well, Let's I... be honest. That's why we didn't like it so much. Yeah, that's that's the only reason it's why you guys don't like it. It's a conflict of interest. It's like, you know, like doing a news story on your own son or something. We shouldn't have even talked about it. I think that the Missed Opportunity Award actually goes to Widows. Yes. I oh, think that, definitely. That's yeah. a good call. I think that Widows is a movie that... It's got some great moments. It has some great moments, but it's like, this should be like the best version of uh, 
of just like an Ocean's Eleven. Like this should be the best possible version. Whenever we have something like Ocean's, Ocean's Eleven 8, with social commentary, exactly. Yeah. Like this should be even better and stretch the envelope even more. And I still really enjoyed it, but it still just felt like a giant missed right. opportunity for it to be something truly special. Um, this is my last one. My movie movie of the year. That's not a hero movie, but my movie movie. Like just you go to the movies, you expect a movie, and you watch a movie, and you got a movie. As uh, Crazy Rich Asians. Oh. We haven't even talked about it. Yeah, it, it had some it of the most. Fun, yeah. It had some of the most gorgeous moments I've seen the all year. Was nice. Some, yeah, the best. Some of the best direct. Probably the best directed rom com I've ever seen. Yeah. Um. It was. Yeah. You looked beautiful. Story was just super. Uh. It added a cultural flair to a very straightforward story. Nice message about like. Yeah. Uh, like cultural identity between yeah. being Asian and Asian American. And again, I just I just had a good time when I saw it. And that is the point of the movie. It's it's not a movie that's trying to like fuck you up like first reformed. Uh okay, I'm I need to shout out a bunch of movies that I watched within the last week. Um we're entering make, we're entering hour six right now. Yeah, that didn't make my list. Free solo Guys, I, I I really want to see this, this movie. So this ties with Mission Impossible Fallout for the fuck yeah he did that award. Because this movie is about a man... They're each who, getting half of a trophy. <laughs> a man who climbed a 3,200-foot uh, vertical rock face without a rope. He did that. Yeah, I've heard that it's just... It's one of those things where you're, like, watching it and, like, the filmmakers themselves are like, are we going to film a dude dying exactly. right now? Exactly, and it grapples with that. They can't the, actually step in. Yeah, the only thing that kept me from putting this in my top 10, I have it at number 12. Um, the dude is an asshole. Yeah. Like, it doesn't... That's do, what I've heard. It doesn't do much to, like, make you sympathize and, like, understand with him. It's... Uh, understand, like, where he's coming from. It's mostly more like, oh, he doesn't care about anything except rock climbing. And he will leave his girlfriend alone. He will die for this because he loves it so much. And he doesn't care well, about the people around him that care about yeah, him. Yeah, that's what I've... Because the, this year, the word toxic masculinity has been thrown mm -hmm. around a lot. And it can be misused and definitely misunderstood. That one aspect of it is the notion in a lot of movies and TV shows that... Uh, you can be a bad guy if you're also really good at something. And I don't know if he if he actually is like that in real life. He might be a great guy, but I, the I way doubt it. the way the movie depicts him, it's like he only cares about rock climbing, and it's the only thing that brings him joy in life. And he has this woman that loves him and wants to be with him, and he has these friends that are like really really worried about his safety and trying to like be there and 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 you know see this thing through and see this project through mm. but you get a sense that they are worried as fuck about him dying okay and it makes for a great movie obviously yeah but i'm, I'm gonna know. watch it uh and i oh i actually i drove like two hours to a huge imax screen to see it so that was pretty nice nice uh paddington 2 it gets my most delightful, joyous, good time award. I really wanted to see Paddington too. It's just, it's a, just a beautiful movie. I watched the first Paddington. It's so fun, and it's, it's a, just a delightful movie. Hugh Grant gives a, a delicious villainous performance. Very, very colorful <laughs> villain. Uh, he does like a dance number at the end during the end credits. <laughs> and That's this, cool. this movie, it just made me weep because Paddington, he just brings so much joy to everyone. He's a sweet boy. Sweet boy award. Yeah. Um, I have two other awards to give out. The one is uh, my most forgotten about movie, which I need to rewatch, is The Death of Stalin. Mm. Yeah, Watch that movie didn't make much came out, impression on me. It came out the end of 2017. It, it got a wide release in 2018. But um, it was just a really interesting satire that I want to go back and revisit. And um, my final award to give out, this is actually the biggest trophy of all, is the... Um, 
best movie title with a gnome pun in the name. <laughs> and that goes to Sherlock Gnomes. And this, this was, there was a lot of yeah, competitors. This was yeah. a close one, right? It was it was close. <laughs> It was close, but I and I can't name another movie that it was uh, close to. Are they making another was, one of those? I think probably, there's a new one coming up. It's kind this of year. an endless yeah. cash grab. I'm, I mean, I'm, how many? There's so many gnome puns. You hear it's an endless yeah, pool. You hear the word gnome and you think movies. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we we have to stop. It's, uh, <laughs> wait, three more, three more. <laughs> Private Life on Netflix. Okay. Great movie. Leave No Trace. It's on Amazon Prime. Okay. Uh, and Support the Girls. It's on oh, Hulu. I haven't seen Support yeah, the Girls. I really so want to check that out. Three very, very small movies that tell uh, stories that don't usually get told, and they do so in very impactful, uh, thoughtful ways. Okay, cool. So, all right. That's our list. That's our podcast. Uh, Drew is leaving right now. Letterboxd. So, Twitter. Bye. Uh, Actually, at Drew Dietzen. Uh, yeah, so we'll see you next week with a review of Glass. So look you forward to that. Still have to watch Unbreakable. Oh, you uh, still haven't seen Unbreakable. Yeah. Um, and I'll probably try and re- rewatch Split too. Yeah, That's I just saw Unbreakable, so we'll definitely talk about that next week. We'll try to catch up on some stuff, maybe some TV, maybe some True Detective. Uh, in the meantime, you can follow at We Bought a Mic on social media and email us at WeBoughtAMike at gmail.com. Let us know what your favorite movies of 2018 were. Let us know if we missed anything. Let us know if your top three happen to be Venom, Aquaman, uh, Solo. Transformers 4, that Max you, Keebler. Yeah. Well, those weren't 2018 movies, but. Yeah. If 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 you want to put movies from put like best the movies 90s. Best movies of all time. Yeah. You know, whatever you want to tell us. Let us know. Uh, yeah. What do you want to plug? Um, I have big news. Uh, I have a website. Oh, now. it's live. It is live. Oh, shit. Um, I'm about to post uh, my top 10 TV shows of the year, which you guys got a little preview of, but there's a little bit more dissection into show by show on my list. Um, that's about to go live on there. It is huntmobley.com. Nice. Check me out on locked there. It, um, it is locked in. I'm making some edits, so check it out daily because there could just be an entirely new theme. I'm trying to actually set everything up. Um, other than that, you can follow me on Twitter and Letterbox at huntmobley. So huntmobley and huntmobley.com. Nice. And I am at Caldernist on Letterbox, Instagram, Twitter, all that shit. So... Stay tuned for next week. We got glass coming at you and a whole bunch more podcasts as we dive into 2019. So look forward to that and uh, stay tuned. We'll see you next time. Go watch eighth grade on Amazon prime. Later. Later.